What's happening, weirdos? This is Rain Wilson, who obviously you know from The Office and uh, his book, The Bassoon King, and Soul Pancake. He's all over the place, and I love him. We've met uh, recently to do his podcast, and now he's on mine, and we had a lovely chat, which was actually just this morning, and here I am recording the intro for it to drop tomorrow. That almost never happens. Uh, a couple things to cut out of the way. Thank you to everybody that came to Largo uh, on the 26th. It was me and Bill Burr. It was incredible. Uh, the next Largo show is October 11. Uh, tickets at Largo-LA.com. But whenever you hear this, I do a monthly stand-up show at the Theater Largo in Los Angeles. It's always the highlight of my month, so come out if you can. I have a couple vinyls. One of them is a limited edition vinyl called Living <clears throat> Excuse Me, Living at Largo. All the proceeds go to the Littlest Tumor Foundation. Uh, there's only 500 of them of them available. And you can also get my uh, HBO special um, Dirty Clean on there as well. 800poundgorillarecords.com slash Pete Holmes. And you'll see both of them on there. You can also get my book, which uh, Rain and I talk about a little bit. Uh, it's called Comedy, Sex, God uh, on Amazon or harperwave.com slash Pete Holmes. And as you guys know, I don't do traditional ads on this podcast, but we are supported by things that I actually use and love every single day. One of them actually came up in this episode. Rain made a MeUndies joke, and I was like, no, I wear MeUndies. MeUndies is a Pete's pick. Val and I, uh, almost a year ago, realized we hated our underwear and did a complete underwear overhaul and i had heard about me undies on other podcasts and i decided to give them a try i bought a whole bunch and i absolutely love them they are made from micro model fabric which is many times softer than cotton it feels fantastic they fit perfectly they come in wonderful prints and colors that actually do put me in a better mood in the morning when i'm picking my thunderwear that's right I call it Funderwear. They also make lounge pants, which are incredible. They're like PJ pants. I'm often recording this podcast while I'm wearing my MeUndies uh, lounge pants. And they also make onesies. It's We're coming into the fall. It's officially onesie season. So if you want incredibly soft, perfect fitting onesies, lounge pants, or underwear, I can't promote it enough. Get some MeUndies and show your support of this podcast, you can get 15% off your first pair, free shipping, and a 100% satisfaction guarantee. Just go to MeUndies.com slash weird. That's MeUndies.com slash weird. I love when you order a whole bunch, if you do an overhaul like I did, they give you like one test pair on the outside. So you try them on before you open the package for the rest of them. I just love that. They make returns easy. They make fitting easy. I had to go back and forth a few times to find the perfect size for me. I finally did, and I love them. Get into them. MeUndies.com slash weird. Also, Charlotte's Web Hemp Oil, which I just took a little bit of right before I did this intro. I get the original formula. I get the mint chocolate flavor. It tastes like a thin mint makes you feel better than a thin mint. Hemp oil. You hear the word hemp, you think it's going to be weed. It's not weed. They use science to remove the THC. THC is the component in hemp that gets you stoned, gets you intoxicated. They take that out and they leave the body and brain beneficial CBD. I know a lot of places are selling CBD these days, but the Stanley Brothers who make Charlotte's Web are the only company that I am aware of that make it and grow it in the U.S., 
and grow it specifically for medical reasons for human consumption. So as I always say, it's not going to be like this pile of this hemp is going to become a burlap sack, well, a hemp sack, and this one's going to go into our human bodies. It's all made medical grade, food grade, to be consumed by humans. And the reason I take it anecdotally, excuse me, speaking, is it's a wonderful mood elevator. It's an anxiety reducer. Uh, It helps me relax. It helps me ease and flow into whatever it is I'm doing, especially in times of stress. I take uh, my CBD oil um, and it helps me just kind of surrender. And like I said, I flow into what it is that I'm doing a little bit faster to smile, a little bit easier to laugh, quicker to laugh. Uh, they also make balms and creams that are uh, for topical, wonderful to get hemp on you that way, to soothe the skin. Um, and it, I, it's one of those things that's a little bit hard to explain, but I really, really recommend it uh, for people that want, want help traveling, want help with stress management. And like I said, for me, it's a wonderful mood elevator and anxiety reducer, and I swear by it. It's a wonderful plant ally. It's such a better thing for me than a pharmaceutical. Just get these plants in you. Go to cwhemp.com slash weird and use promo code KEEPITCRISPY19 and you will get 10% off your order. As I mentioned, I like the original formula. It's stronger. It's a little bit more expensive, but you can literally just take a couple drops of it and you get that goodness in you. Also, cachava, which I had for breakfast this morning, is a plant-based, born-in-the-jungle, superfood, nutrient-rich drink mix that is incredible. People are talking about how to eat plants and get that goodness in them, but sometimes they don't know where to start. I always tell them cachava is a wonderful place to get those nutrition, that those nutrients, excuse me, into you. I think I'm a little tired. I need some coffee. I don't drink coffee. I do a little bit. Anyway, it's 100% plant-based. You got omega-3s from chia and flaxseed, not from an anonymous barrel of weird fish. Get it from plants. It's got eight super fruits in there. It's got 17 greens and veggies. It's gluten-free. It's soy-free. It's free of artificial sweeteners and preservatives. They got just enough coconut nectar in there, which is a low glycemic sweetener to make it delicious. They got powdered coconut milk in there, which means it becomes creamy and chocolatey, even if you just make it with water, which is how I make it. You can make uh, it has digestive support built into it. It's got a thousand milligrams of adaptogens in there, 24 grams of plant-based protein, nine grams of fiber, and the kicker is it's actually delicious. Sometimes I make it with water when I'm making it just for myself, or I'll make some for Val. I'll put in uh, almond milk. I'll throw in some fro- frozen strawberries. It tastes like chocolate, strawberry, ice cream, and it makes you feel amazing. You get a nutrition high from drinking cachava. It's a wonderful way to start your day. It's like a meal and a pill. Keeps you full for hours. I didn't know this, but a lot of people take cachava for weight management. I can see how that would be a wonderful thing because when I take it, I that's my meal. And it's very healthy and it's low calorie. And you can try it if you'd like. 20% off. Show your support of this show and get some of these wonderful superfoods into you. Go to Kachava, Kachava, K-A-C-H-A-V-A dot com slash weird and you'll get 20% off and show your support of this show. All right, that's it. Enjoy Rain Wilson. I love talking to him this morning and uh, check out his book as well, Bassoon King and Soul Pancake and all that goodness and get into it. Thank you, Pete. Some people, you know, in your position, I understand you made hundreds of dollars. Hundreds. Maybe even thousands. 
on the office. So I kind of, you know, you start, do you do this before you go someplace? You're like, I wonder what it looks like. I'm actually pretty, pretty right on. I don't know how you are, Katie, but like, I was like, I bet it's like wooded and rustic and kind of down to earth. Not just because Dwight Trude was sort of that way. This uh-huh. sort of looks like uh-huh. where Dwight would live if he, <laughs> if his number came. Out. We got pigs in the backyard. <laughs> you have what? We have pigs in the backyard. I know you have pigs. Yeah, I read that on your Wikipedia. We could, um... and then I was ready to call bullshit on you. Not really, but I was like, I wonder if he eats meat, and you stopped eating meat after you got the pigs. Yeah, I mean, <sighs> you nibble. It's okay. This I nibble. Is, this is a judgment-free zone. I, ne- I nibble. Well, let's update that wiki. Well, someone else put that on on there, not me. I didn't put well, it on. Well, I'm, I was I'm being a hundred percent real. I don't I don't eat meat, but like I there's this is no judgment. I just thought it was interesting. I had yeah. a friend, there, one of our ads, Kit, on on crashing, uh-huh. saw the shape of water and stopped eating meat, and I thought that was so sweet. Because there's all that, like, remember, they're like, he's being tortured and he's swimming around and it's like, oh, he's just an animal. Like, there's all that sort of stuff in there. And then you got pigs and then he you... He stopped eating meat because of the creature yeah. in the tank? Yeah. That's the mm. power of art, man. Wow. That'll do it to you. <laughs> um, I, I feel like... Um, no, I... I was I, so I, beautiful. I was vegan for like uh, eight or nine months. And they were like eight or nine minutes, and, and then I, somebody came by with those little <laughs> cocktail wieners, and they with said the it was little pigeon. white castle hamburgers. I couldn't resist. Um, well, I didn't mean to start this podcast on a, an accusatory. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. But I do think you know. Look, I, I, we all try and make the world a better place, and I think if we eat more plants, or mostly plants, or MPs, most people, you know, you know try to figure out what it's like. Yeah, mostly plants and, and mostly people. <laughs> you did too. Silent. Greenest people. <laughs> Spoiler alert. The um, there's a statute. The uh, you know I, I never ate meals that just were plants. Yeah, I would always have meat as a, as a meal. Sure. So to try and discipline myself to like have an actual fucking meal that doesn't have a chicken breast on it or a slice of salmon on it or yeah, sushi yeah, sure. or something like that. Well, that's where I'm full of shit. I, I currently have a bit about that where I'll occasionally eat fish. Like if I'm mildly inconvenienced, like if I am, I just did a show at the Lucky Eagle Casino outside of Seattle, your hometown. Oh, wow. It's a couple hours, uh, I don't know, east or it's got to be east, right? Yeah. East of Seattle. And there was just nothing to eat and I was going on and I just went ahead and ate some fucking salmon. So I am king bullshit. Yeah. So just know yeah. that. But I thought it was interesting that you had pigs and that you bonded with them, that you enjoy these these little squiggly-tailed uh, little buttercups. Can I show you this little video? I'd like to see it, and I'm going to describe it for the podcast listeners. Don't. don't. Rain just has, let, them, let them sit there in discomfort. And Rain pain. has what looks like a phone only available to celebrities. <laughs> just I'm just kidding. I'm petting the rawhide skin of something and pull back to reveal oh. it's a pig sprawled out on his side, exposing his belly, oh. snorting tin, and then his sister Amy's coming over because she wants to get petted, too. Oh. Yeah. Those two pork pie hats are in the backyard? Yeah. What are they doing? Smoking cigarettes? Yeah, they're just, hang- they're just hanging out. We should go interview them. You ever had pigs on a podcast before? <laughs> I wish I could think of somebody. There's so like- many podcasts these days. I'm, I'm surprised there's not like a podcast where they for just pigs. interview pigs or yeah. for pigs. Pigs say the darndest things. I bet there's a pig lover podcast. I mean, there's a podcast for everything out there. There's so many jokes. I went to get, I snore and I got a, a mouth guard. Uh, so I'm, a sleep appliance, they call yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. And my sleep doctor has a podcast on sleep. 
Yeah, you're, like he, he needs to stop Dr. Rabinowitz has his own po- <laughs> podcast about sleep. <laughs> so everyone's got a podcast. Oh, no. Do you have a podcast? I've got a few. Yeah, you have Soul Pancake. Soul Pancake Metaphysical Milkshake with Reza that you were so kindly on. That's just launching very Re- soon. Metaphysical is the new one. Yes. How did you hook up with Reza Aslan? So he was a fave guest on the show. Yeah, he's so a very smart fellow. He is a very smart guy. I've met him a few times through the grapevines. Um, once, uh, so I'm a member of the Baha'i Faith, and there's this whole thing where Baha'is in Back off. Iran. Back off with okay. your preaching. Just <laughs> <laughs> kidding. Have you I not, I, have I not I, converted you yet? You and I talked off mic after I did your podcast that you were like, I, in your experience, people don't want to hear about it. Yes. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah, yeah. Because when I met you, I was like, all I want to do is hear about this this groovy fate that yeah. I don't know much about. And you were like, I've tried. But we're cut from the same cloth in that way, Pete. That's when I read your book. I was like, this is like my brother from another mother because uh-huh. just comedy and spiritual journeys is yeah. what I'm all about. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. that's, that's but what I you're about. Like you oh, did, didn't I? What was I having? What was you I were talking about Reza. Don't worry. I'll, okay, I'll interrupt. Okay. Are we going to go back? back. Okay. Yeah, don't we'll bring worry. it back? Yeah. I, usually. Yeah. Six times out of 15, I'll bring it back. <laughs> that's <laughs> what you were saying. What fraction is that? Okay. <laughs> Six fifteen? <laughs> yeah. I think it's half. Okay. That's roughly half. My <laughs> son, who's 14, could break that down into its... Really? Yeah. Is he a smarty pants? It's two-fifths. Two-fifths. Yeah, two-fifths of the time you'll bring it back. Oh, my goodness. That's the same as 6.15. Katie, you look very confused. Yeah, I don't like this. This makes me feel the panic of school again. So what's the question? You you ran into Reza because? So he was a speaker at an event about how Baha'is in its native Iran are being terribly, terribly persecuted and their rights are totally demolished. And he spoke on a panel and I met him there. And then I met him at another event, and then we maybe we had coffee, and then his Jesus book was if coming out. If there's a Baha'i out. event and you're not there, it's probably a pretty bad Baha'i event, right? It's so lame. It's so lame. <laughs> like, there's I, actually, but I there's, was like, it's a benefit for Baha'is. I'd be like, oh, Rain Wilson will be there, and I get there, and you're not there. <laughs> like, yeah, no, he's in New Zealand. There's other Baha'i celebrities. No, I only want you. There's other Baha'i. Name used, a few. I Drop used to, some names. I used to be the only Baha'i celebrity, and yeah. it was like everyone, every Baha'i in Topeka and Lake Wabasha would call me like, would you come do this Baha'i event? And now there's other Baha'i celebrities. Who did, what? Who? Justin Baldoni. Who Baldoni. He's on <laughs> Jane the Virgin. And, okay. Uh, uh, Penn Badgley from Gossip Girl. And oh. uh, and these are new converts? And he became... Converts is a strong word. Yeah. New finders of the only true faith. <laughs> <laughs> That's it. They that's were. It. That's it. Yeah. Andy Grammer, the singer songwriter. Oh, you know, I don't. You got to keep your head. But up, I don't you know, know anybody. Yeah. Okay. I don't know anybody. So there's there's a bunch now to choose from. But that's if there's wonderful. a Baha'i event without one of us four, yeah, boy, it's a it's, snooze. It's, what a snooze. Snooze fest. What a snooze. Um, so you met Reza and then he was I, talking. Then I emceed and then... an event, a Q and A about his Jesus book in a church that was live streamed. You know that guy Barry that. Bill Hader? (laughs) (laughs) No, there's a famous Christian dude in LA named Barry. Have you met that Barry guy? He has a. Barry of Nazareth? (laughs) 
<laughs> Not yeah. too many people Jesus going around. Cousin. Yeah, <laughs> we dropped the whole of yeah. of Los Angeles. Yeah, you don't know this guy Barry. No. I thought you would know this guy Barry. Barry, yeah. no, it's Barry the Christian. I Barry just the him. the Lord Lover. Yeah, he's English and he's got tattoos and he does like kind of. Uh, alternative Christian services at little mm. like theaters in Hollywood and whatnot, you know. Is he? No, I don't know who we're yeah, talking okay. about. Uh, he helped host that. Anyway, so that's how I got to know Reza. And um, we both have a, a great interest in um, both showbiz and spirituality and religion and faith and that's big fun. ideas. And he was a big Soul Pancake fan for a long, long time. And um, so we talked about doing a podcast together, which has been great. Um I don't. How do you feel? Do you like hosting a podcast by yourself? Wouldn't you rather have a partner? Oh, don't. That's an off mic conversation. Meaning, I'll tear into the idea of tethering your podcast to another person. Oh wow! Okay, <laughs> do, think, do it on mic. Well, it's not that vicious. But you were you were there in the room with me and Reza. That worked out pretty well. Oh, it's not that. Yeah, it's not the the dynamic in the room. Yeah, necessarily. Although there were a few moments where you're like Reza, Reza. <laughs> And he was like, I'm going to get to it. So there is, a, there are two people. <laughs> yeah, there's a little bit. Yeah. I'm just suspicious. It's like stand-up versus improv, right? Okay. Like, I, it's almost is like... Is there a thing there? I'm is there like a... No, no, I, Is I, that I, like werewolves versus vampires? I like elves versus dwarves. But okay. it's, it, we should have an alliance. We're friends. We're all in the same Tolkien world. Yeah. <laughs> We're on the same pages, guys. Yeah. Relax. The elves and the dwarves would just unite. Um, they do unite to fight Sauron. <laughs> eventually. It takes a while to get <laughs> there. Sad. That's true. And great. Uh, I, I feel like The Office is, is what happens when stand-ups and, and improv... Uh, kind of have have relations, right? Okay. I can't really think of any stand-ups on that show. Uh, B.J. I, Novak. Yeah, there you go. Okay. I knew there was yeah. one. Yeah, old Beach. Yeah, old Beach. Beach. The Novi. But what I'm saying is, I'm not saying the art form of stand-up and the art form of improv. I'm actually talking about business, and I, I sort of hate this part of myself. I don't really hate it, but it's utilitarian. It's almost like on the spectrum or something. To do this podcast, I had to coordinate with Katie. That's the end. If I had to court, like when we first were going to do this, I was thinking of doing You Made It Weird with a friend. And I don't know if that friend would have made it four or five years and hundreds of episodes. And I don't know if that friend would have grown with the podcast in the way, like it didn't start as a spiritual podcast. It took a goofy left, like my book, halfway through. Yeah, yeah. It just goes hard. So now that's all I really want to talk about. And if there was like a, a host with me, you guys already know yourselves better than I knew myself when I started the show. Okay. But there's this sort of like, Cold utilitarian, like do it yourself. Like we're when both people, like fifty, Pete. You and Reza, we're old. Yeah, <laughs> I look older than fifty. He looks younger than fifty. But we're you know both what like you 50. look? What I like? Because when I gave you a hug, hmm. people don't know this. I'm soft. No, I'm you're what? broad. You got like broad. Show. Like when you think Dwight Dwight Schrute, like Pictionary clue is Dwight Schrute. I'm yeah. drawing like a beanpole sort of like Michael. You know what I mean? <laughs> And when I meet you, I'm like, if someone broke in my house, I'd call you. Yeah. I wouldn't yeah. call the police. I'm I'd be like, maybe rain would come. And I started studying Kung Fu. Did you? Yeah. yeah. You're a you. magical man. I'll show you. I moves. just like pointing out when people have like a, a hidden sort of. Well, girth. when I saw you come in the room to Metaphysical Milkshake, I had no idea that you yeah, had I was, giantism. I couldn't. You have a pituitary room. problem. I do. You are really. I'm Tony Robbins. I have loved your shows and seen your stand up, and I uh, had no idea you were that. When enormous. I do auditions, I have to town. I'm six. I'm six six on stage because I'm six five and a half. But when I audition for something, I say I'm six five because every actor is like three foot two. Yeah, and they're all just like yeah. in scenes with me, and I look like I'm going to eat their bone. <laughs> 
I'm here to eat your bones. You know what I'm saying? You must have towered over most of the people on on the American office. I say the American office. Intellectually. <laughs> what fun. What fun. Um, let's talk about the more interesting thing, though. When did what, you read my book? I was a what is this kid is how I put it. Is that how you were? Have you always been sort of curious, universe curious, reality curious? Baha'i curious? That is so funny. What a treat you are. Oh, thanks, Pete. Baha'i curious is like... Baha'i curious. If there was a, a, a like an example in a dictionary of a type of joke I would make, it's yeah. Pete, Pete Holmes is the type yeah. of guy that would say Baha'i curious. And in, I didn't say I'm it. getting in the home zone right You're in here. You're the home this zone. Not... Step into the zone. So... So I grew up Baha'i and You were raised it. I was raised Baha'i in a weird Bohemian dysfunctional Baha'i family in the suburbs of Seattle. But one thing Baha'is really do is they promote kind of deep conversations about philosophy and spirituality and everything else. Uh we had Sikh friends, we had Sufi friends. Not like friends, but Acquaintances that would come, but by. they were encouraging we, a dialogue. Encouraging a dialogue, buddy. There's a Sikh temple in my neighborhood, and I'm always trying every time. Yeah. my landlord in Brooklyn was a rabbi. Yeah, I'm always dropping hints like, "Would you please just like break it down?" But like you, I I, I have a hard time finding people that really want to talk about it. Yeah. Maybe the Sikhs do. I don't know. Maybe they think there's no way I'm interested. We should have done a podcast together. I know, but I, I should ditch Reza, boop. and you should. <laughs> You should bring me on as After your my partner. adamant, you must go it alone. <laughs> you can't count on anyone. You must be a dwarf. But I was always interested in those questions. and um, So I, your parents would bring these people by and that yeah, and when stoked bo- the When born-agains or watchtowers would knock on the door. Like You'd my, let them in. would let them in and say, would tell me. They would, they would be shocked. They'd be so they'd be like giddy, like kids in a candy store. Oh my yeah. god, here's these new converts. Yeah. And we'd say, tell us all about the Bible and what you believe. And, yeah. Um, you know, I remember that one time they uh, uh, had a pamphlet, and uh, this is going to sound really reductionist, but they had like a pamphlet, and Jesus was like petting a lion and petting a lamb, and they said, in the future, the lions will lay down with the lambs, yeah. like literally. And, right. And I, I think I think I said at like thirteen, like doesn't that isn't that more of a metaphorical thing that people you traditional enemies you would will will be work side to side and right. there was an awkward pause and the and the person I even forget who they were what they looked like they kind of pointed back at the pamphlet and they're like no but the lion's gonna lie down with the lamb. Oh, my God. Like the illustration was a photograph of the future. Of the future. Exactly. (laughs) They went into the future, saw a lion and a lamb. That's what I would get nervous. I've always – I was friends with some uh, Latter-day Saints when I was a (laughs) reenactor. It sounds very up your alley for some reason. My mom was a reenactor. Really? Yeah. She was a witch at the Salem Witch Trials in Salem, Massachusetts. But that's where I worked. You read that. Oh, that's right. Cry Innocent. That's right. Where did she work? I one one of those places, her. one it, of those it, horrible places. <laughs> well, a lot of them aren't great. A lot yeah. of them are a little bit like. No, this was like a bad one, like the witch's dungeon. Yeah, or something like yeah, that. yeah, the witch's dungeon. That's or right. Witch, witch that's right. Movie. And you had your girlfriend was there, and you yeah. worked together. That's and right. And I would corner her. her. Hang. Yeah, yeah. And we would walk around in costume and would like sneak kisses under trees and stuff. It was very Christian wow. college romance, very Puritan montage. Yeah. And uh, so, what was I saying? I was oh so there were were on the street 
handing out flyers trying to get people to come to the show, which we would call a trial. And there were also Latter-day Saints out there. So we were sort of doing the same thing. Like they were out, you know, trying to give people the Book of Mormon and we were trying to get them to come to a, a yeah. witch trial from the past. So it was, we were both in interesting predicaments. But you were both trying to convert people Basically. to your way of seeing things. Yes, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. And, but they were 18-year-old boys and I, we fell in love with them. Like, if you have a bunch of time with them you, and you get the agenda to convert you out of the way, they were just, like, sweet, funny guys that were, like, kind of repressed. Like, we were always trying to get them to come to the show because they were our friends, but they're not allowed to do anything entertaining. And we were like, no, it's not entertaining. <laughs> it's, it's educational. Like, you yeah. should be able to come. Yeah. And I had all these, like, script ideas where they'd get in trouble and then their headmaster or whatever it's called would come and would have to do a really boring version of the show to make sure they wouldn't get in trouble. <laughs> but, like, I have always thought that if, if Latter-day Saints came to my door now that I would have them come in. But I worry... That would get into some muck there where I'd be like, don't you feel like that's metaphorical? Because that's how I would have been. Sure. At 18, I would have been like upset. Yeah. But if why, you were like, why are you afraid metaphor. of getting into muck? Getting into some muck? It's so sensitive. I, I don't know. It, it, I, I feel like I'm going to hurt their feelings or something. You know, maybe. That's okay. Or condescend. Or it's, or it's going to bring out some nastiness in me that I'll be like, that's rubbish. Like yeah. inside. I yeah. wouldn't say that. Yeah. But it yeah. would, like, flare me up. It's tricky. Those conversations are, are tough. How did yeah. your parents negotiate that? So here comes a Sikh. You guys well, are they would, they would, you know, we would just share our... <clears throat> I think from my parents, it was more about sharing the point of view. Like, okay, you, I'll listen to you. Now I want to tell you what Baha'is believe about the Bible and oh, what Baha'is believe about Jesus. Yeah. And... So they weren't expecting that, but we kind of had them cornered. It was a and switch, yeah. <laughs> Essentially, you like lock the door, come in and now convert you us. Can't leave. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I don't know that I would do that necessarily. Yeah. Um, maybe I would lead with that and say, "Hey, I'm a Baha'i. I'm happy to hear what you guys believe. If you want to hear what we believe, but no, no, no one's going to convert each other. Do you My, know what I mean? Like, yeah. there's, they're not, they're not going to become Baha'i. They're not going to be like, oh my God, right? I guess this is so true. You're so locked in. I went to the temple in Salt Lake City and I was walking around and I was talking to a girl and, and she was, she looked like she was 12 Uh and and she was really like pitching the company line. And I was like, you're 12. (laughs) Like, what are you doing? This is insane. Yeah. Like, like you're not even allowed to like think about other things, which is how I was too. Mm -hmm. And it Mm -hmm. sort of makes me sad. Mm -hmm. My, my MO now, if, if some Mormons or Jehovah witness or whatever came over would be like, you can come in and I don't want to talk about that, but you can have some cookies and you want some lemonade and stuff and just rest. Cause that is one thing I remember was they were like some of the hardest working, most humiliated, like yelled at their footwear doors. That's what I'm saying. They, it's funny that you ask because they could wear Doc Martens, but they'd have to black out the yellow stitching. Oh, wow. They had very strict uh, code about it. Like, they couldn't wear like worldly clothes. Oh, wow. So they'd wow. W- buy Doc Martens because they wanted to be cool. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. This is like a, a rich oh, area. Wow. They're, they're kids. They're yeah. 18-year-old kids. And they just flew to Boston, basically. And for the first time, they're all from Utah or different places. And, and they're like alive and excited but they have to pretend the smartest to be thing the mormons ever did is those, is those uh um the when they go uh what is it on mission the yeah. two-year mission when you're because you gotta go you're I like 18 or 19 years. or is it four okay. i think it's four years um i'm not sure and hey siri i'm just kidding <laughs> let's just not know shut up pete but i think the, for girls it's two years for women it's two years and for okay. boys it's okay 
three, maybe um, But nothing kind of bonds you to your faith belief than kind of going through hell for it. Yeah. No, I know. You know? So it's... I've always... This is kind of a weird thing to say, I suppose. I should just be like, we should only be after the truth and the one that's real. But like, I sort of admire anybody, even if their faith might not be complete... I don't know, in its current form, mm-hmm. that will sacrifice for it. I've always thought that, that was there's something romantic about it. Yeah. Like, it's one of the reasons why, like, the Jews for Jesus would come to our church, and you just know they're the most ridiculed group. Like, Jews, yeah. Jews in my experience, really hate the Jews for Jesus. And the yeah. Christians are also like, these guys with their weird hats. You know what <laughs> yeah. I mean? Like, yeah. who are you for? And yeah. that is... A spiritual position when everyone outcasts you. Yeah. That's like a good place to be but when, to find truth is when no one accepts you. That's why the Jews for Jesus are probably lapping us all. But we were talking about this when we when we spoke off mic. Is that how you say it? Yeah, you say it. Off mic, uh, off mic. at the studio when we were talking before about... I have a podcast called Off Mic and it's the other 23 hours of the day. <laughs> Not recorded. I don't record it. <laughs> I just go around and I'm always doing it. But you could have someone there listening to the off mic and then talk about what they heard. Yeah. Oh, like a like a commentator. talking dead yeah. sort of thing. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this week on off mic. But we mic. were talking about like, are people in Hollywood interested in spirituality or having these conversations? And I was talking about like, no, I've I've really yeah, had I wrote that down. I wanted a you to difficult talk about that. time with that. And you were sort of said, oh, everyone seems really interested and Judd Apatow wants to talk about it and people want to talk about it. But I think maybe the difference between you and I is because I am an adherent of a faith tradition. So I'm... I'm a devotee. That's right. Yes. So I consider myself a Baha'i. Now, what a Baha'i is, is a servant to humanity, a seeker of the truth, you know, a servant to all, open to other faith traditions and seeing the divine and everything. So it's very Catholic in the traditional... Universal. Universal use of uh, of the word. But I think because I'm a Baha'i, people hear that and like, oh, A, he's in a cult... Or it does be, sound like a cult. Like from a marketing standpoint, yeah. I'm Baha'i. Yeah. Sounds like you guys meet in a river waist deep. <laughs> That's Christians that do no, that. No, I know, but they don't like that either. Nobody <laughs> wants anybody in a river unless it's you're fly true. fishing. I need to contact, get out of that river. Contact the marketing department of the Baha'is. We well, mix it up. But you know what? It's hard to name a religion. What would you name a religion? For like me? Like even if you were like, oh, the shining path. You no, know, I know. That's, or the... Well, the we're in Church tricky... of the Paradox, or this... the you know the you know the I, Face I, of God Unity Congregation, they or whatever. All it, sound like trouble. It's all like yeah. Well, I think that's our feeling. Like when you look at like Scientology, for example, they're all like, "Oh, it starts with sort of like self help stuff, and then eventually they go like, this is how the world was born.' And they sort of have a far out creation mm-hmm, myth, mm-hmm. and that's how I feel like people, even with if Baha'is, if you're like, look, it's just about seeing the divinity and everything. Why don't you come? Hey, Jenna from the office, come with me to this thing. And at first, it's just like you know, non resistance and love, and you're like, cool. And then at some point, they're worried that Rain Wilson's going to take your hand and go. By the way, we eat babies or something. <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah. you think it's a bait and switch. And then you see the eyes, the pinwheels and the eyes spinning. Yes. In the, the <laughs> eyes in the, in the congregation. In sense and But I think that that's what I've had some, eh, how do I put this? No, just generally, just out in the Hollywood world, uh, I'll talk about, you know, spirituality. And I'll say, oh, I'm a Baha'i. And I'm, here's what I'm really surprised about is that very, very rarely – does someone say, oh, what's that? Or could you tell me about that? Mm. And 
if I was working with someone and they were like, I'm a Tibetan Buddhist, I'd be like, yeah. oh, tell me about that. I, how, how do you practice it? What do you believe? What books do you read? Yeah. How does that affect your life? How, yeah. how long have you been one? Do you have a congregation? Are there a lot of them in LA? Like, yeah. I have a thousand questions yeah. I would ask a Sikh, a Buddhist, a Sufi, you name it. Yeah. But I say I'm a Baha'i. Sometimes there'll be just a, a quick like, oh, what's that? Well, Baha'is believe that there's one God and that he sends these divine teachers down. And Baha'is are followers of Baha'u'llah, who's the most recent of these divine teachers. And that's enough. That's it. The boxes are checked. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, cool. Thanks. Thanks so much. All right, cool. Hey, um, so is there a smoothie place near here? I you just know? wrote a script, two scripts actually, for The Simpsons about spirituality. And Matt Groening was like, you should put some Baha'i stuff in there. Yeah, he had that. a Baha'i roommate. Did he? Yeah, because Baha'i, Baha'i faith has been in The Simpsons a few times because Matt Groening has a connection. Hilarious. Yeah, yeah. So what I'm saying Will is, you tell him Baha'i from me? You- oh, come on. Bye-bye, bye. Hi. I love it. Thank you for making the Baha'i jokes, because Lord knows I'm thinking them. This could be the shortest Pete Holmes podcast. Because we're just going to God right away? No, no, because we, we could just end right now. I feel good, we're actually. Not gonna, okay. No, Katie? rain. All right, keep When going. you said you'd do it, you so said you So you're writing The to... Simpsons. Yep. That's not what I want to talk about. We're here to talk about you. Look at these pants. Those are soft. What I'm saying is there's another world that I, I feel like I'm living in that you're very close to where I think there are lots and lots of people that are interested in it. Mm. I do find that like the, the interest, but, but you see, you were, you were in, you're easy because you're like, I'm kind of Christian. I'm kind of Buddhist. Right. I'm kind of ayahuasca. I'm right, kind of right. all of it. I right. yoga. Well, that's what we talked about off mic was I start with, I agree with you, it's all bullshit. And then you start rebuilding from there. Right, right. Because that's I've had that experience 400 times on this podcast where people say they're atheist. And then like, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight minutes later, we're sort of talking about mystery. Like we agree that yeah. existence is a mystery. All of the universe. Yeah. And yeah. And I'm, I'm with I that. I saw a statistic that... That 50% of atheists, of confirmed atheists, believe that there's something more to the universe than just molecules and physics. Yeah. Which is really interesting. I, I usually take it to that. It doesn't work. I, I, no? We, I, not always. I had Julia Sweeney on, and I replay this moment in my mind all the time. Do you mm. remember this, Katie? We were sitting there, and we were having this. She's lovely. She's one of my favorite atheists. I wouldn't want to change her for the world. I was just going to get her perspective on this i was like seen from a molecular perspective you and me rain right now katie this room seen from a molecular molecular perspective it's just a swarm of wasps right and somewhere in this impersonal swarm of wasps some of the wasps in you will be in me some of them that are in me will be in this chair at some point molecules are moving and even in dead things they're alive they're moving nothing is dead a rock is teeming with life if you could zoom in on it it is moving it is bouncing Mm. it is changing it is warping Mm. it's doing some fucked up crazy shit it's amazing Mm. and somewhere in that dust storm consciousness arises Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she was just like yeah it's something we evolved (laughs) and this is something that we talked about julia and i later this is one of my favorite alan watts he goes uh, materialists, materialists, I don't know what's wrong with my mouth today. Materialists believe... I don't see anything wrong with your mouth you right now. You are a sweet man. Yeah. I like you. Okay. And I'm going to fight you. Okay. <laughs> I will fight you for charity. I would fight you for charity with oversized boxing gloves. Yeah, and diapers? In an oil room? Yes. 
I would totally not baby do that. oil, like crude oil. But the giant oversized boxing yes, of gloves, course. where we actually really try and yes. take each other out until you tap out. You would beat the fuck out of me. I don't. I, I don't it. know. I don't I know about that. I don't, no, I don't know. know about that. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know you with your broadness. Listen, <laughs> I don't care if you listen. Julia Sweeney and you, but the, replay. This. Alan Watts says materialists say that consciousness is t- is made up of tiny bits of matter, right? Like it's a phenomenon of matter. Like there's a certain combination of matter in your brain that produces consciousness. Alan Watts says the other so mm-hmm. uh, consciousness is very sophisticated matter. Mm-hmm. He says mm-hmm. the other perspective is that matter is very simple consciousness. <laughs> mm-hmm. That's like the that's the flip of the script, mm-hmm. and that's where. I'm at. I'm mm-hmm. saying like everything is conscious, mm-hmm. and she's saying no consciousness is a phenomenon of matter. Those mm-hmm. are the two. It's the same street. Some of us are walking north to south. Some of our, our, us are walking south to north, and that's fine. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that's enough for me to go like, Jesus fucking Christ! Like what? It's a dust storm, and yeah. in the dust, some of the dust goes like, I'm Peter, and I walk around well, and that's eat a the sandwich. Interesting thing about about atheists is to me. If you're going to say to me, even if I wasn't raised Baha'i, and you're, I think, maybe, who knows, maybe that influenced my thinking to such an extent that I'm not able to see objectively. But I tried to spend a couple years as an atheist, uh, as you did, after I left the Baha'i faith uh, in my, in my Ooh, 20s. We're going to tell that story okay. chronologue. <laughs> we're going to stay in that chronologue. You don't have to have abbreviate? abbreviate and have initials for every fucking thing in the fuck on the it's, fucking it's a planet. Disruption. Look at us. We're so much more here because we just fucked everything. That's why I love <laughs> nicknames. The first time I met you, I called you as the desert's Mistha, and you go on your heels. You know what I mean? I loved it. Everyone calls you Rain. I want to. I want to snap us out yeah, of but it. Everyone calls me stupid Rain nicknames, and that one was really. It was poetic, and it was seventies. Yeah. yeah, and it was apt. Yeah, and, and that's why you say uh, whatever I just said. The lodge thing. So what were we talking about? And then it's also to do. This oh, so if I <laughs> disrupt, if I was an atheist, so if I, if you were going to posit to me in my life, mm. okay. There was just empty space. Then all of a sudden, there was matter and energy, and there was uh, uh, an explosion. Molecules and and um, atoms all came into being, and then galaxies. And then and then there was there happened to be in the corner of one of a trillion galaxies this little solar system, and then this mud ball that was around that solar mud system. Ball. Um, all of a sudden, then on that on that mud ball, it came. Uh, there used to just be molecules, and then all of a sudden there were like paramecium. Like, well, how it's did that big, happen? It's a big jump. How, how do you how do you go? F- and when you take science class, they just talk about it. Yeah, okay, here's the earth, and there's all these elements, and there's water, and then life evolves into water, and blah blah. And whoa, 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 wait a second here. Right. Wait a second. Like, how do paramecium or amoebas or whatever single celled organisms start swimming around in this? Oh, maybe a meteorite hit it. Hit it. Okay, or or a lightning bolt. Well. Can can you replicate that? Can you right. can you use scientists? Fra- can you show me? It's like, Frankenstein. It it is it is it's Frankenstein on a cosmological scale. And then if you were to tell me then that then we evolve from you know bunnies into puppies into into monkeys into humans, and then humans are going to be one of them is going to turn into Bob Dylan and write all those lyrics. <laughs> you know what I mean? And one of them is going to paint. You know the. Sistine the Chapel. boating yeah. party, uh, you know, uh, you know, one of them is going to yeah make the Sistine Chapel, and one of them is going to, 
you know, s- sing these incredible songs and, and that we're going to be having this conversation. Right. Uh, I just would be like, that's bullshit, man. Yeah. I can't, I cannot, I cannot for a second wrap my head around that. It's but that's just, where the common ground comes. You go, there's a mystery at play. That's why I'm not surprised when you say 50% of atheists believe that something more is going on here because I'm trying to do well by my atheist listeners. The atheists are just saying, I don't fuck them. Boop. I don't, you're fun, and you're broad, so if you fought them, they Let's might do take it. you down. <laughs> in, in diapers. They're just saying they don't believe in a god. They think there is no god, but that doesn't mean they don't believe in no unexplainable or no mystery or sure. no thing that, they, that we don't understand. And that's when I go, well, that is, God is a metaphor for that mystery. I God just, is just a way for us to experience and talk about it. I've just pitched a show all around town that got rejected from every major I'll media buy it. outlet uh, called The Notorious G.O.D. <laughs> You're fun. And it's uh, a, a redefinition of God searching for God in the modern world. Because I do think that a lot of that just has to do with your definition That's of what God. it is. Yeah. Vocabulary. It's all, yeah. It's sim- Let's it's, drop it. That's why Eckhart Tolle says being. We don't have yeah. to debate the existence of being. We are it. We're mm-hmm. using it to talk yeah. about it. That's what yeah. I wrote in the book. I say, when I see two people debating the existence of God, I see two manifestations of being mm-hmm. debating on how to define itself. Mm-hmm. But it's weird. When you're looking through a telescope and, and studying the solar system, that's an amazing and incredible and essential and important, and I respect that immensely. But you are overlooking that with which you are seeing. You're a part of it. You are an inexorable part of what you're studying. I think in these this day and age, what we're living in is we're living in a day and age of reactivity. So everything is in reaction to something that has been. And that is why every society is breaking down on so many levels. Mm. Um, and it needs to, by the way. Mm. You know, the Me Too, Me Too movement, yeah, maybe sometimes it goes too far in certain ways. But you know what? Who cares? It's rebelling against thousands of years of the patriarchy it's like pulling back a string on a bow you know what i mean like you were pulling back on that bow that arrow is going to shoot far when you finally let it go and that's that's the react that's the appropriate reaction and it needed to happen and it's and and same with black lives matter and a lot of you know issues around uh kind of like the tyranny of like strict gender roles and sexuality and whatnot but everything right now is just and and that's how i view a lot of atheists like i'll talk to a lot of atheists i'll be like you know I, there was this film director i worked with and i was like so he's like so you're a baha'i and i was like yeah and he goes i'm an atheist i'm like oh yeah he goes yes i was raised catholic and i was dragged into church three times a day <laughs> and i was like well wait a second those two things don't necessarily follow okay you were traumatized by the way that you were raised religiously that's terrible yeah that's wrong right it's baby, but with that doesn't water. that that doesn't necessarily mean that you're an atheist because you reject that. Right. Have you done the work in between the two? You are right in my passion wheelhouse. Oh my god! I'm like it's all about babies and bathwaters, and I'm I say four years of deconstruction, like tear it down, be like nobody wrote anything about Jesus for 150 years until after he was dead. It would be like if you and I just started writing about the Civil War now, just based on what people were verbally talking about. Yeah. That would be what it's like. Yeah. Like, okay, light it all on fire. 
you're still here. Is all of this thinking helping you plug into the phenomenon that you exist, that you're hearing me, that you and I are talking, that we're real? But that's what everything is in reaction to something that's that. from the that's past. A, so it's just point. we're in the – and that's what social media amplifies is knee-jerk reactivity to what has been in the past. Well, we need to figure out a new way of being in the future that certainly acknowledges the past but builds proactively something constructive between us. I would also say in the – Obviously, this is what you mean in the present. That's why when, like yes. I was talking about the metaphorical uh, nature, I, I believe that the Bible is a history overlain on metaphor. I believe some of the things are historical. It doesn't really matter to me. But then people were like, well, if, if the resurrection of Christ is a metaphor, we got a big problem. And I was like, is this debate helping you be in the kingdom of heaven right now? Mm-hmm. Like, are, mm, is it mm. putting you in the moment mm-hmm. or is it trapping us in another ego game of playing the I'm right, you're wrong game, which is the false self, which is mm. a lie, which is the world. Mm. It's not spirit at all. Like real spiritual people aren't really interested in winning debates or converting or proving that they're right and you're wrong. They're here. They're he- That's why I love Eckhart Tolle. He has no symbol system. He has no nothing to buy or ascribe to or join. He's just saying, stop it. Everything See, we're doing is robbing you from the moment. Here's where we differ, though. Differ. I have joined. You've joined? I've joined. The Baha'i. Yeah. Yeah, I know. So I believe, I believe in a mythology. I believe, I like to use the word cosmology. I, I ascribe to a cosmology as a believer in that cosmology. Now, listen. I'm not going to try and convert you or any listener. I'm not going to say you're right, you're wrong, and I'm right or anything like that. But this is where it's a little bit different for me where um, I am a devotee. And think about that word devotee. I'm devout, devotion. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Those three words are, are connected to a, a religious system. And I have a reason for that why I don't just believe in a unified field and a yoga class and a meditation retreat and my favorite Eckhart Tolle book and A Course in Miracles or whatever I choose for my spiritual smorgasbord. I have a reason for why I am a Baha'i. And we'll get to that. Blue Apron delivers fresh <laughs> hot meals. Are Me they hot? <laughs> don't pick one of my real sponsors. Is that a real sponsor? <laughs> yeah, I'm wearing them right now. Let's see the color. What is it? Can, I get, some, can I get some free ones? I can get you some MeUndies. Are you kidding me? Yeah. They'd love to send you some lounge pants. But uh, why, why, do you, why do you choose? And by the way, I don't think I have to say this. Zero judge. I love every path up the mountain. And devote, Ramdas, my dude, is an extreme devotee to yeah. his guru, yeah. who yeah. was a Hindu. Right. And Hanuman. You go to his house, there's statues of Hanuman. It's not... Hanuman and but Buddha, is, it's like... I guess, I guess this is the thing that... And, 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 I, and I'm venting a little bit because I think like for the semi-spiritual like uh, milieu of Los Angeles that has... Um, God, you, 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 you abbreviate everything. Vocab judge? Yep. <laughs> I, love, I love it. It's, it's kind of your thing. Is it? It's kind now of I don't thing. want to do it anymore. Yeah. Now that I feel like... Piho. Poho. Pihom. Pihom. Piho. Ray we. Yeah. Rewi. Ito. Um, Judge Ito. Um, so, this it, is but why, it's, a little yeah. bit, it's a little bit weird because for the spiritually minded uh, in this uh, environment, um, it's often uh, seen as kind of weird if you are an ascriber to a religious system. That's all I'm saying. I understand. But yeah. why do you, what, do you, what juice do you get out of it? Instead of, of being out there in the wild, 
picking up a course in miracles here, yeah. taking a yoga class there. You like the structure. Yeah. You get there. Yeah. You get to a place through devotion. Yeah. And I'm telling you, that is right in my wheelhouse. Well, I'll tell you. I'll tell why, you. What do you get out so, of it? So there's, there's a very long talk about that, and I don't want to bore people. So the first half of that talk, which I'm not going to go into, is who Baha'u'llah was, what he taught, why I believe that and how it incorporates all of religious belief into a kind of a unified theory. And I buy that. I believe that in my heart. Okay, that's fine. So I'm going to need more. You can't. What is that? But Baha'u'llah also brought something else besides kind of looking at uh, the, the, the spiritual theories being united. Baha'u'llah has brought a, pl- a spiritual plan for a spiritual revolution of humanity to usher forth a new age in a species on a planet to reinvent everything, how we do everything through a spiritual perspective. Mm-hmm. And that's what turns me on. So if you do a course in miracles here and Egyptian mysticism here and a yoga class here and you're that's it's so great and it's so good for your personal transformation and it probably brings you more at peace and you spread more peace in the world so you're doing more service in the world that's wonderful i love it but what the bahai faith has is a a, a systematic plan for where do we go as a species on a planet how do we rethink um everything spiritually mm. because all of these systems pete kate okay. that all, all of these systems that exist in the world are all in a state of collapse. Think of any system, you want educational system, food systems, uh, nutrition, farming, um, economic systems, uh, systems of the power dynamic of, of white people, white imperialists, you know, subjugating people of color and, and women. All of these systems, banking system, I don't can you think of other systems? Like they're all based on a faulty uh, set of um, uh, machinery that's based on self-interest mm-hmm. and greed and self-assertion and seeking comfort and seeking status. Um, and those are it, it's going to fall apart because we, we can't do it anymore. We're on know? the same page. There needs to be a spiritual awakening. Yes. To me... Being nice to people is fine, but realizing your oneness with everything mm-hmm. is why you're nice. It's next level stuff. Like going like, I want to be nice to Katie so she'll keep being the tech on my podcast mm-hmm. is fucking garbage. Being nice to Katie because I realize it, fundamentally we're the same thing, just playing a different game, changes the way that we view the world. And that's when we start to drop the false self. And the false that's what I call it, the false self. Is what we're talking about when we're talking about greed okay, but and comfort and all that sort of stuff. I, I hear you. Amen, brother. I'm with you 100%. Yeah, I here's feel like where I just I, said what you said. Here's where I might differ a little bit, though. Ooh, okay. Interesting. I thought I just parroted what you said. Can I? But I want to challenge you a little bit. I love it. I'm going to so take this my is what a, jacket off. And, a, and this is not me trying to convince you to be a Baha'i. This is just kind of looking at things a little bit differently. Because I'm glad we're able to kind of go to this because I never get to have this conversation. Yeah. So – Let's look at the political system. So uh, millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, trillions of dollars, billions of dollars, not trillions. Forget I said trillions. Can we edit that out? Uh, Are put into the political system into buying ads and supporting the TV stations and radio stations that run those ads and the billboards and the email blasts and whatever to say my candidate is the best. 
this person is terrible. Look what they did. They once voted yes on this thing and they once voted no on that thing and they're awful and they stand for something that is against your values. Um, so we all know an incredible amount of money and a lot of negative energy is poured into politics. Well, like let's take the Baha'i faith, for instance. So the Baha'i faith doesn't have any clergy. So we're here in Agora Hills, California. Every year – What's Baha- your address? Um <laughs> 1313 Luck Street. Ooh. And uh, uh, every year the Baha'is of Agoura Hills get together and they elect an elected body of nine Baha'is that govern the affairs of the community of Agoura Hills. And they guard the one ring. <laughs> I understand. No, they guard the sacred goat <laughs> who gets killed at the next election uh, through bloodletting. So, so the uh, – They elect and nine. in this election mm-hmm. – um, in this election – no one is allowed to campaign. No one who serves has any power over anyone else. So no one on like the Agora, we call it a local spiritual assembly. No one on the Agora Hills local spiritual assembly can come over to me and say, Rain, you got to do, you got to bring the punch to Holy Day. You know, they can't tell anyone what to do. They don't have any power. Um, and uh, how the election happens is through, um, devotion is through prayer and meditation and with it's utterly silent when you go to the uh, election um there's no talking there's just kind of a list of people that live in the community and you 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 write down in secret ballot uh the nine people that you think have the most emotional maturity and wisdom and those people are elected Hmm. so i i bring this up to say that the electoral system is in total collapse. Would you agree? Sure. Um, so we need a new system, and what the Baha'i Faith offers is literally the, the 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 underpinnings of what that system could be. It's a, it's an actual um, a reimagination of an electoral process through a spiritual lens. Yeah. Okay. I, I'm I'm like, aren't you then just campaigning in a more subtle way? And aren't I just asking you to bring the punch in a more or less direct way? <laughs> like, I'm from the church, man. And yeah, nobody has any power there either. And we're all brothers and sisters. But I'm like, Rain, I Googled your net worth. Would you mind <laughs> flying me? You know, and, or whatever. And by the way, why is that when you, if I put Rain Wilson in the Google search bar? The first thing. The says, first thing is like, Rain Wilson income. How yeah. much does Rain Wilson, how much is and Rain wife. Wilson worth? Yeah. Yeah. It's always wife and worth. Yeah. Wife and um, worth. But, uh, so. No, I, sure. I mean, listen, to some extent, you know, we're, we're all human. Any, any system can be kind of corrupted. But the point is, you're in a prayerful meditation to, with God's grace, to elect the, the most humble servants of a community. That's, yeah. that's it. And think if we did that in the United States. Now, you might say, oh, you're, you're so naive. It'll never happen. <laughs> but, but like, let's be hippies for a minute. Let's imagine that world peace is actually doable. Because remember, when I was a kid, we used to talk about world peace. Katie, what are you looking at? Well, look at me, because what I'm saying is really, really interesting Katie's right now. Katie's looking at a bird. <laughs> That's sort of my thing, is I'm like, we can talk about this. Katie's in the kingdom. She's <laughs> she looking at a bird. bird. That's the most Christ-like thing you can do. To, Let's interview to Katie. Blowhards. I need to shut No, no, no. Up. But oh that, is, that is sort of my point, is I'm like, if we raise the consciousness of people... They'll all look at birds. Through different means, there could be... 
uh, a revitalization of, of existing structures, like the way that we elect people would change because consciousness would change. Instead of saying, I, 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 want, I want to keep playing. But, but, but hold on a second. Though. So when I was. Uh, I was. I just want to make. I want to finish this yeah, one. World one thing. Yeah. And I, and I hear you. I uh, think when I was a kid, world peace was possible. We used to talk about in school world peace and beauty contestants. There used to be that joke. The beauty contestants would say, I want world peace. And like now you think about world peace, you talk about it, you bring it up. People scoff. Yeah. We'll never have world peace. Humans are too selfish. Humans will never get along. We've just got to like secure our borders enough and we've got to have a strong enough military where, you know, um, you, you, you're, you're a naive nincompoop if you really believe world peace is possible. Hmm. But what was I saying before that? Because I was going to tie that in and now I've forgotten. Well, I was saying that we could raise the consciousness and that would change. Oh, well, the political system. Yeah, you said yeah. that. And we'll go to that in a second. Sorry. Is this no. my podcast? I just want you. Yes, it is your podcast. Then, um, but I was saying like, can you imagine an American political system in which there was no electioneering, there was no campaigning, there were no TV commercials, and we just went into rooms and in, and in silent meditation wrote down the people that we thought would be best to um, to do the job in a, in a spirit of wisdom and service to, to the community. How do we find out about those people? I'm not trying to be contrarian. I'm just like, it, that this works in a summer camp. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> It does. If I know Bill and I get right. a sense of Bill's vibe, like if I hung out with Bernie Sanders sure. and then there's Trump and then there's Hillary and we're all well, kind I of don't know. eating like, together. Let's say, you know, Bill Gates has spent good, you know, $30 billion of his $60 billion fortune on helping less fortunate. He's learned a lot. Like maybe I would write down Bill Gates. I think, oh, maybe he can apply what he's learned through that process. That's a really great example. Uh, to uh, When you go to bed tonight, I want you to go. I really did a good job on was that, that podcast. On the whole, that was thanks. a great answer. Thanks. Because there are people that we know about, and there are people that aren't blowing the horn of their egos, yeah. going like, vote Gates! Yeah. And we do know about them because of the miracle of Netflix docuseries, and I was just watching that, and I thought about him this morning, because he said the most nerdy thing I've ever heard, where he goes, I don't mind cobwebs. I was like, I don't know why that's the nerdiest <laughs> thing I've ever heard. Every genius I've known has always been like, I like the texture of bananas. Yeah, there's cobwebs. There's all the cobwebs out there. Can you eat cobwebs, by the way? Uh, I wonder part... if there's nutrition there. There's got to be something. If you going were starving, on. would you eat cobwebs just to see? I don't and then know. What's your poop like after you eat a cobweb? It's more cobwebs, and then you're a spider. <laughs> uh, and you transform. We've said that before, but shouldn't Spider-Man's webs come out of his butt? Listen. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. So I, I love know. it. You want the rubber to meet the road. Yeah, it's just about it, – it's fine to promote oneness, unity, and love. But I, for me, I'm a little – also a little more practical. I'm not trying to say I'm more practical than you. But there is a meat and potatoes kind of thing about, you know, how are we going to change these systems to be more spirit, radically spiritualized and to to move forward in service to humanity? Because also a lot of the – again, the, the spiritually kind of L.A. – um, yoga class set they don't really translate their spirituality a lot of them not all of them not you a lot of them however don't really translate that spirituality into service for others mm. and to trying to make the world a better place mm -hmm. so it's more about just a personal like this makes me feel good and reduces my anxiety I couldn't agree more that sometimes I feel like we're worshipping a good mood yeah 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 
Like, oh, wow, when I'm really tranquil. But my thing these days is a relationship with suffering. Like, I just went to an Eckhart Tolle retreat. Oh, wow. And it was awesome. Why didn't you invite me? I love Eckhart Tolle, by the way. Really? I was going through the, one of the worst times of my life, and I listened to his The Power of Being and Now book. And his voice, too, that weird yeah. Austrian accent. Yeah. Like, Glass case of emotion. <laughs> Rain when you're on the set. It was in my car nonstop for like a year, and it, oh my God, it helped me so much. I got to sit, uh, a fan of the podcast worked at the Omega Institute, and I'm so great. I think his name was the Omega Institute of Light and Love. (laughs) Did you get a chip implanted into your brain at the Omega Institute? It's a piece of granola. the 70s science (laughs) fiction. (laughs) Welcome to the Omega Institute. But I'm so grateful because he was a fan of the podcast, and he said, Do you want to sit in the front? Because they reserve the front. For words. VIPs? For VISPs. Very important spiritual people. <laughs> they should, you know what they should put at the front? The fucking busboys and the janitors. Yeah, well, it, did Jesus just Not the podcasters. The yeah, I agree with you. Sorry, I threw you a little shade there. Are you uncomfortable? No, I. All right. I just said I completely agree with you. <laughs> okay. And you know, Eckhart Tolle would agree with you. That's the Omega Institute. His whole thing is no specialness and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff. So anyway, a couple things that I took from it. One that I couldn't wait to share on the podcast. It's something that, it's one of these things that you have to hear a million so times. So you just got back? Yeah, a couple of days ago. Wow. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. One is the present moment is your life. You yeah. know what I mean? And that, mm-hmm. that is such an important thing is, is, is we think our life is like a collection of moments that we think about at night and we go like, I'm happy. Cause yeah. all and what things- we've done, Americans view our life as a compendium of what we've achieved and then what we're aiming to achieve in the future. That's right. That's our, our legacy. It's, a, it it's that uh, Beatles thing. Life is what happens when you're making other plans. Like you're only thinking about other things, and other, but like, this mo- like if you want to be happy, this is the only time to be happy. And I know that sounds like something Martha Stewart would say while tossing a salad. It's it not that way. It it, it sucks mm-hmm. that deep, esoteric, beautiful wisdom. The present moment is your life. Hmm. It's your life. And he says, make friends with the present moment. Don't look at it as a means to an end. Don't look at it as an enemy. Treat it as a friend. And I remind myself this all the time, but I keep forgetting. So what do I do? This is something I got from it. it. Anything you touch, like he says, come to your senses. Like if you feel something, if you're feeling, you're not thinking. If you feel, I just, I got here early. I went for a walk in one of these beautiful parks around here. You smell the flowers. You feel the breeze. You hear, I, I heard leaves rolling on the stuff. You're not thinking. So don't try to not think. Don't even repeat a mantra in your head. Just come to your senses. That was mm fucking unbelievable Mm. and then the other thing that constantly reminds me so it's not just what you touch see or hear it's also what you feel i'm annoyed all the time even at a spiritual retreat people will be on their phones and i'll I'll start telling a story like you shouldn't be on your phone we're supposed to be here now you motherfucker okay use the annoying feeling the annoyance as a Mm -hmm. reminder Mm -hmm. to come back into the present moment because it's your fucking life and it's your friend. So I'm – what constant – like it, it would be nice if there was an app that every 15 seconds reminded you to be present. But that would be stupid, right? There is an app. There is a system running. Like anytime you feel something and you start to get overtaken by that feeling, remember to come back into your true being and your like unborn awareness. Mm. So I'm annoyed that this is happening or mm. this is happening. Mm. That's never going to stop happening. That's my alert. Yeah. That's my like alert system. Yeah. So anyway, what we're saying is this utopian vision is interesting. 
there, Jesus also said, like, the, 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 there will always be suffering is basically his point. Sure. Like it's, it's part of the program. Mm-hmm. It's what do we do with it? How do we alchemize it? How do we use it potentially as a reminder mm-hmm. to come into our true self? Mm-hmm. I also love everything you're saying. That's not a counterpoint. Yeah. At a certain point, Eckhart Tolle's second book is called A New Earth. He's trying to revitalize and, and awaken people's consciousness so that we will have a new earth where we put aside the ego. He thinks we're possessed by our egos. Yeah. And that's what you're talking about. Yeah, exactly. We think about. we are our thoughts. Yeah. We think we are our wants. Yeah. And we believe that all of this matters and is real and that your status matters. Mm-hmm. In show business lately, especially the, a lot of the rich and powerful people that I know, I just see it. I'm like, it's not working. There's no this too shall pass. It's all like, this matters, I'm real, and I'm going to prove it again. Yeah. I'm going to ring the bell again. Yeah. I do yeah. it too. I go out yeah. and do stand-up every night to prove it again. I said to Val the other night, I came home from doing a set. I was like, when am I going to stop proving to myself that I'm funny? Like, fucking let it go and just be happy for no reason. Find the bliss of being that is true and that changes how we act that's great again i'm just agreeing with you we can't be happy for a reason you have to quiet down all those voices and get into that eckhart tolle is always saying can you feel your energy he says close your eyes and sit still and he goes can you feel your hands like don't move them but can you feel them Mm -hmm. and that's your energy field that's your inherent dignified at home place yeah. in all that is. And that is a joy that exists in traffic, in line at the DMV, when things aren't going your way. Hmm. Richard Rohr also says that great love and great suffering is how God comes to us. Suffering just means not getting your way. So when things don't go your way, it's this reminder to come back into being. But, but things are never going to go your way. <laughs> exactly if, right. If things went my way, like I would be the biggest movie star in the world and everyone would adore me and think I'm brilliant. That's and right. I would walk down the street and they would be throwing but that's why dollar Ri- bills at my feet. and 50s. Yeah, but that's why Richard says, doesn't no that bullshit. sound like the way that an infinite, loving, unborn awareness would act? It's available to everybody. Yeah. Suffering is available to everybody. Yeah. And that is well, fucking you know, universal. Buddha that's said, Catholic. Buddha said life is suffering. And, uh, you know, that's the road less traveled, which is great. Have you read that book? Road no. less traveled? No. You need, to read, you need to read the road less traveled. It's one of the great, it's gotten kind of unfairly kind of cornered as a self-help book or like the original Kingpin self-help book. Mm. Uh, it was like on the New York times bestseller list for like three years, but it is a beautiful spiritual treatise okay. written by, I forget the guy's name. Um, but he was a psychologist in a in mental institution, so he he dealt with really extreme cases and learned a lot about life and suffering. And it's all about it's all about suffering. But there's an interesting uh, Baha'i take on suffering, which is that um, um, that suffering brings us pain, but that's the pain of growth, and that's why we're here on this physical plane. So there's a metaphor in the Baha'i faith that. Is often used in the writings, just just a simple metaphor. But when a baby is in the womb, it's growing its uh, fingernails and elbows and eyelashes and eyelids for use in this world. The baby has no idea what this world is. Mm-hmm. It has no idea what it's like to watch Game of Thrones, mm-hmm. you know. And uh, 
and it has no ideas that it, that it's growing eyes that it will need to watch Game of Thrones mm-hmm. in this world. Mm-hmm. And if you ask the baby, like, why are you growing these kind of balls in your head? The baby will be like, I don't know. Right. I'm fine right now. I'm just right. getting my nutrients through this tube. And I'm sometimes I'm waking, sometimes I'm kicking, and I'm just hanging out, and every, life is good. Um, but that we're undergoing the same process in this world, that we are growing our spiritual arms and legs and eyeballs and eyelashes mm. that we'll need in the next world. And how do we grow them? Well, we grow them through suffering, unfortunately. I wish there was an easier, softer way, as it right. says in the AA big book, but there's not. Right. And this suffering um, hones us, you know, it's, it's, it's melting the gold. Uh, it's, you right. know, it's treating the, the metal on the anvil. Um, but our spiritual qualities of compassion, wisdom, kindness, humility, honesty, these qualities get honed by suffering. By I know for me, stuff, though. you know, sorry for you. No, for me, like when I've had big shifts in consciousness, um, I wish I could say that a lot of those big shifts in consciousness came because I read the right book at the right time and, and I was aware and had yeah. a certain enlightenment yeah. and I just kind of learned and grew through time. No, it's kind of getting kicked down to the pavement that forced me to to grow in ways I didn't want to grow. Right. And I'm really when I look back in my life, I'm oddly grateful for some of the most painful experiences that I've ever had in of my life. Of course, of course. It's also, it forces us to drop all these false notions of ourselves. Like you think you're this and you think you're this, and then all these things get taken away from you. And you're mm-hmm. like, but what's still there? Mm. That's being, not the circumstances of your life, but what remains. And it's sort of when we're kicked in the stomach that we go like, but what remains like what is still here my friend uh david is uh been diagnosed with cancer and uh it's he'll probably be dead within a year um the doctor said he had like one half of one percent chance of of beating it through his treatment um it's not not good odds yeah um and we've had some of the most and in the meantime for me like Oh, my TV show got canceled, and my thing I tried to pitch didn't happen. (laughs) He's like, go fuck you. Come on, it's a good name. It's a great name. I just bought it. Let's do it on the Pete Holmes network. But but to talk, his his perspective uh, with this diagnosis is like, he's like instant guru. That's right. He's become Eckhart Tolle. I'm not surprised. He's become Ram Dass. Ramdas used to his talk mortality. to prisoners on death row, and he was like shocked that like three out of five of them, it was like sitting with a bird or something, like yeah. like a present enlightenment. I told thing. David that I was stressed out about this and that, and this one movie project fell apart, and this money thing fell apart, and and he's like he like grabbed me. He was like, "Rain, don't let it go. That's all white noise." He That's said, right. It's white noise. It's false self. What do you have? You have. Health, you have breath, you have the moment, you have your wife, you have your son. And you... breath is God. That's what Richard Rohr told me. The name Yahweh is was designed mm. to mimic the in-breath and the out-breath. Mm. So he's like, it's your first word, it's your last Yahweh. word. Exactly. That's what Yahweh. it is. It's life. It's not, a, it's not believing stories and having the correct views. Yeah. It's this. 
And when you have, and this is why all spirituality to me boils down, not boils down, but a big part of it is to die before you die. So some of us get diagnoses. Some of us have near-death experiences. Some of us get a sentence and and we're sentenced to die. Mm. And we go like, what? You wake up from the dream and you go like, why was I so mad when my flight was delayed? You're always home. You're always yeah. home. Your brain, I used to believe in Satan. Satan was the, the liar right. and the thief. Your brain is the liar and the thief. Yeah. It, it started with good intentions. It was trying to define you and protect you, but it possesses you and starts telling you stories like you were supposed to be in L.A., at 11 a.m. so you could go meet your fucking girlfriend for fucking smoothie. Shut up. This is what's happening. This is Buddhism. This is no resistance. This is this too shall pass. This is just going like, one of the things Eckhart says is he meditates on street scenes of like from 1930 or 40, 50, whatever. You look at it. I've been doing it. You go on YouTube. Yeah, those are amazing. Street scenes from 1918. Everyone's dead. No one remembers anyone's name. Yeah. Look at them all rushing around. Yeah. Look at them looking Some guy seriously. named Carl with a hat, and he's, where am I going? And he changes direction, and, and he's late for something. His beliefs and his concerns are so real. The other way you can do this is, what were you, Rain? Some people say a year ago, what was I worried about yesterday? Mm. These are liars. These are thieves. I understand we live in the real world, and we have problems. But to go, this too will pass, yeah. and just be like... The gift is what your friend is seeing. That is so gorgeous. And it's, but how do you say, you can't say that to him. I feel, it sounds like he would say it. Yeah, in some ways. Yeah, he would say it, but he would just wish for a few more years with his six-year-old daughter. I, I mean, hear that. But speaking of Satan, that's, uh, so Baha'u'llah was the founder of the Baha'i faith uh, and lived in the 1800s in the Middle East, mostly Iran and then Palestine. His eldest son, Abdu'l-Baha, which name translates as Servant of Glory, um, Abdu'l-Baha came to the United States in 1912, and he arrived on the docks, and and everyone was – America was all agog at Abdu'l-Baha coming. Um, They're like, oh, this Persian mystic is coming, this great spiritual teacher, and he spoke at all these churches, the biggest churches in New York City and and the congregation of – you know, theosophists and all the people that were into, into, into big ideas and new ideas and spiritual ideas. And a journalist asked him when he landed in New York, they said, do Baha'is, do you, Abdu'l-Baha, and do Baha'is believe in Satan? And Abdu'l-Baha answered and said, yes, Satan is the insistent self. I love that. So, uh, that's, that's great. Let's yeah. Just take a break. That's, and me undies. Ah, no, not that kind of break. Some some ideas you just have to take for a walk. Yeah. The insistent self. The insistent self. Taking yourself real seriously. Go watch a street scene. Those people were taking themselves real And the insistent self of like... Some of them. I want more money. I won't be happy until I get this. Once I get that, I'll be happy. That person doesn't like you. It can happen. You know, maybe if you act this way, then they'll like you more. It's, it's status. It's comfort. It's money. It's greed. It's, it's ego, self-imposition over others. Like, that's Satan. And okay. Satan is on your shoulder. And Satan is nagging at you. And Satan is tempting you I think toward you- dark things. But that you have to redefine what Satan is. Just like we have to redefine find what God is for atheists. Well, we build both. We build heaven and we build hell. This actually got in my episode of The Simpsons, which I'm pretty pleased with. I hope it's not cut out. But I've said it a million times on this podcast, but I believe it's a Chinese proverb 
that's about um, heaven is a room, or I'm sorry, hell. They, they're like, in this room is hell. And it's a banquet. There's all this beautiful food, and everybody has long uh, chopsticks like pool cues, and everyone's emaciated and starving because they're trying to get the food to their mouths, but they can't because the chopsticks are hellishly long. And they're like, wow, that's hell. Everyone's dying, and there's this beautiful food that they can't eat. They go, this, this room is heaven. They open the door. It's the same room, same banquet, same chopsticks, but they're feeding each other. That's mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. That's mm-hmm. making it. Mm-hmm. That's and the insistent self is trying to feed itself, and the and the gracious self, the the realized self, is realizing that's me. That's me. The bird that Katie was looking at. That's the me. answer. Let's take care. Plain of and it. simple is forks. You're so funny. Way better than chopsticks. That's like what that's like what Trump would say. These guys need forks. <laughs> <laughs> they need forks. We're gonna make them. We make the best forks in America. Beautiful forks. I don't do imitations. We're not. We're doing very badly at it, but I really like that we're bad. trying. I was on stage last night, and I have this bit where I asked someone in the audience if they could fuck any animal. What would they fuck? <laughs> and the guy literally went, "Can't go there, dude." And I was like, "No, I'm just saying if we lived in a world where that was normal, like what animal just sort of yeah, is yeah. sexy to you?" He's like, "Not into bestiality, bro." It's literally what he said. <laughs> and I was like, "His name was Ben," and I go, "I wish you a freer life, Ben." You can't even <laughs> you can't imagine like you can't even play. Yeah, it's it's what it's it's would you rather or who would you rather? Yeah, What's that sure. game you play, teenage boys? Like would you rather yeah. fuck Mrs. Schneider, can't the librarian, or there, or the raccoon in the, in the backyard? Can't go there, Ben. I, I I also told the story. I asked my brother one Thanksgiving if he would suck a dick for a million dollars, and he just went. Ugh. And I was like, we don't have anywhere to go. How about some follow up questions? <laughs> Do I know the guy? <laughs> Because that's a that's a trick. Yes, I'll do it. It's your dad. Like that's a, that's a problem. Like I want to talk. We, we're just listening to my father cut his meat. <laughs> this is my dad cutting his meat. Why does he make mouth noises? I don't while know. Cutting his meat. And this is my father-in-law eating meat. He goes. Mm, 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 mm. And yeah. I'm like, what is it about men over fifty? They're like, you're going to hear this. Well, I'm a man over fifty, <laughs> and I want to tell you something. Okay. I want to tell you something, and I'm going to get about to get real, real. I'm going to drop something really real on your ass, get on your into ginger it ass, right now. It. Get into it. I grunt. Yep. See, it's going to happen invol- to me too. involuntarily. Yeah. While doing certain physical actions, mm-hmm. I grunt while, for instance, bending over to tie my shoes. I'm. I try to not grunt, and I can't help it. But yeah. I will literally listen. This is the no, this is the noise I make. Yep. I bring this mic with me down to my shoes and I literally I'll go <laughs> <laughs> yeah I'm saying I'm gonna find out cut to me 55 cutting my my corn on the cob I'm not 55 dick I'm 53 bitch I was saying when I'm 55 I feel like we found <laughs> a trigger for you man <laughs> I'm fine with my age you're 53 you look great oh thanks you're in LA 53 oh do LA people look younger at, in their fifties than people in Iowa? I think it's because of the sunlight and the self obsession that we <laughs> tend to like moisturize. I need to get my teeth fixed, though. What do you mean? I mean, I got like veneers on my teeth. So. You have them? Yeah, I have veneers on my teeth. Did you get that for your acting? I did. Yeah, because I had crooked yellow small teeth. Oh, so I got. Well, that that's I'm interested in. So I love your spirit. And it's beautiful, and I love that you're sharing it. How do we, not in an accusatory way, because we're both doing it, how do we push that Play-Doh through the fun factory of show business and, and doing comedy? Um, 
Because when I did your podcast, I was saying like using everything to sort of enlighten and wake up the karma yoga of like, yeah. when I'm on set, I'm using that as I an opportunity. I love that. And through laughter and laughter can it's spark inspiration. Sure. Yeah. Well, people are free when they're laughing. It's very important. Yeah. Well, Eckhart Tolle at the retreat said, beware of gurus who don't laugh. Like if they're very serious, it's yeah. like, it's all a giggle. It's all a giggle. Yeah. Oh, that's great. So that's I believe great. in the importance of joy. I don't know. The, I don't know the show business thing. I'm struggling with this. This is just something I struggle with. You mm. know, I haven't found my path exactly. I mean, I it goes in a couple. So I I did not start as improv or in stand up. I went to acting school. I did Bertolt Brecht and Chekhov and Shakespeare. Oh well. Wow. And I did theater for ten years. It'd be a great puck. Regional theater. I was I was Demetrius oh. and uh, Jeffrey Wright. From Westworld was Puck. Was Puck. I love it. Um, back in 1991. Wow. Yeah. So I did a lot of theater. I was at regional theaters, the Guthrie the Arena stage and off-Broadway and, and whatnot. And, and I just – this was in the period when I had left the Baha'i faith. And what I found was that my art – became my faith. I jettisoned the faith of my childhood and of my parents. And I, um, I did a deep dive into believing that through art, through theater, we could change people's lives. So we could open their minds, we could open their hearts. So I took the same evangelical spirit of my uh, Baha'is are not evangelical, but you know what I mean? Like the believing Baha'is do believe that we can change the world, that we should shape the world. We can make the world a better place. Um, uh, through spiritualizing it, and uh, my shift went into spiritualizing in a, in a, in a way storytelling and theater storytelling that there's something profound and beautiful about people in a room telling stories to one another and and I do think that theater is an incredibly magical primal thing seeing a body 15 feet from you spitting and saying beautiful language and telling stories and it's transformative can i offer something please there? it's also seeing someone pretending to be something else yeah. really convincingly yeah and i think that wakes us up to the idea that we're all playing parts and that we're all just sort of doing what our conditioning tells us yeah. to do so you're like i'm a dentist like I could be a dentist in Minnesota and I'd be acting perfectly like a dentist in Minnesota. You know what I mean? Yeah. But like things went differently, but it's all baloney. So when we see, especially beloved actors like an Al Pacino really convincingly being transforming somebody else, you go, yeah. isn't that what we're all doing? We are awareness playing different games. So the actor, in my opinion, not to make it too, I think a lot of things are sacred, but I think acting, acting can be sacred as you're like, is. holy shit. I think he is feeling that and that makes me detach from feeling i go like look it's just a game it's just a part i think that actors are often insulted and denigrated and like oh these elites these actors who does leonardo dicaprio and his jet have to teach me about climate change and you know oh they're just actors and stuff but i do think that there is a sacred obligation of the actor to tell a story and also to transform when i was a little kid i went to the first theater i saw was HMS Pinafore by Gilbert and Sullivan and our neighbor like Jack Adams was his name I think um, and he was like a fireman and he did this community theater production of HMS Pinafore and he played like the captain and I went and saw him on stage and I was I was six mm. and I was like wait that's our neighbor and now he's on stage and he's He's playing an English guy in a naval outfit. Mm. And then I saw him after the play and he was all sweaty and he had makeup and his makeup was running down his face. And he, and he, um, and I was, 
I was moved. astounded. Yeah. I was moved. I was like, I want to do that. That's what Alan Watts says the whole universe is, is that when this is all over, the villains and the heroes and the bystanders will go backstage, take their masks off in the green room, and we'll see. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. You're pretending, you are being pretending to be Rain Wilson. That is a lie. That's nice. It's a mental construct. I like that. It's a series of synapses firing and experience and... You, you like how does rain sit in a chair like you're doing it perfectly Thank but you. it's not who you are that's uh, kind of who i am but it's who you, I, I i understand that it's like what you're working with it's the software but the hardware yeah. is consciousness yeah and that's, it's behind that's why i have this bit right now where i'm like sometimes i'll be at a party and i'm like jesus christ i am too much and i'll be talking i'm like well that's when i went when i was in salem i was a reenaction i'm blabbing and boring and like dr strange i feel like my spirit going behind me going like Jesus Christ, look at me go. I just interrupted that woman. She was talking about her depression. Yeah. What's wrong with and me? And that's, uh, that's the real you is the security camera in the 7-Eleven. That's right. So, you know, they always show that footage of like the security can up in the corner looking down. That's how I visualize that's, that's it. That's right. Like, I'm, that's a great way to think of being. An and, and that can get in the way, that kind of self-awareness, especially if you're acting or doing stand-up and you don't want to be looking down on yourself. You want to kind of be Embodied. in the moment, looking through your eyeballs out yeah, at the world. That's, that's a part of artists to share what it feels like to be Pete. That's and let's not forget that actors are shamans, that there's a the, the, the ancient holy man shaman was, from what we know, we can guess a shaman was part actor, part storyteller, part stand-up comedian, yeah. right? Part mystic. He's got a great 10 minutes on bird bones. <laughs> hey, rough day out there hunting down that elk. What do you say, Google? <laughs> this guy knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> yeah. You feel me? <laughs> Show of hands. Sorry. How many people have picked <laughs> berries with their watch? Show of hands. <laughs> Sorry, I got the flame. Uh, I got to get out of here. Hey, can I use that bit? This bit? Yeah. Can I say shamans are like stand-up comics yeah. and use that bit? And, Thank you for asking. And uh, and build a little uh, 10 minutes around that? Of course you can. Wow, cool. I've never done stand-up before, but that would be a good <laughs> – there's something – you could have a lot of fun with that. Yeah, of course. Um, I love it. Uh but yeah, there's something shamanistic about that, and, the, and we think of the best actors doing that. I do think it's more powerful in person. So anyways, I was in my 20s doing theater, and um, that became my – uh, my spirituality. And then, you know, when I started, I started a many year exploration of various religious systems and belief systems on the planet and read a lot and started meditating and re just I read the Bible. Your faith. Yes. This was several years into it. I read the Bible. I read the Quran. I read the Bhagavad Gita and the, the, the parts of the Vedas and Upanishads. Not all of it. No one can do that. But, um, you know, a lot of these books, Bhagavad Gita, and really exploring religious faith. To, um, my big question at the time was, um, you know, do I believe in God? I had been kind of pretending to be an atheist and I didn't really feel it in my heart. I was like, I have to either God exists or he doesn't. Um, and I, I, there, either we're like many scientific materialist atheists think, and we're just a random assortment of, uh, molecules and when I die it's a light switch going out or um, there's something beyond and it's hard to say God exists because existing is a quality of a cre thing of in creation so to say God exists and I know well, that that's I'm, why but I'm not going to go into that he transcends the categories of being and non-being Yes, that's a du that we yes. work duality. We're in duality but God let me, is outside but let me put it. it this way is there something greater than just 
molecules or not. There is either something behind and above and through and within and without a molecular scientific world or not. Do I believe that or not? So I kind of went on a deep journey of like, I need to shit or, or get off the pot. And, you know, I asked all of my friends at the time, um, you know, I really polled everyone, like, do you believe in God? Mm. And to a person, they all said, well, I don't believe in an old white man on a beard on a cloud looking down on me. But um, yeah, I believe there's something out there. There's some force or something. And I was like, well, so how does that impact your life? And they're like, oh, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, that wasn't good enough for me. I was like, if I do believe that there is something more than molecules, then I need to devote myself to the study or service of that, mm. whatever that is. Mm. And that's what prompted all of this reading. And eventually, long story short, you can read about it in my book called The Bassoon King. Long story short, um, I came back to the Baha'i faith because it just made the most sense to me in a number of, of different ways. And But this is, this is a long roundabout uh, monologue to talk about, like, how do you deal with show business? Because this has been... As I've been back in the Baha'i faith for like the last, uh, let's say, 20 years, I struggle with it because I still feel a little bit dichotomized. Um, I'm an actor and a storyteller, and uh, I'm also a um, a spiritual – I'm a Baha'i, and I'm in service to the Baha'i community because I believe in the power and the teachings and the writings of Baha'u'llah. Um, and I'm also a spiritual being seeking to make the world a more unified, loving place. Um, but these two things are often feel at odds. And yes, am I God's actor? Can I be like J.D. Salinger and, you know, Franny and Zooey? Like, you know, you do it for the fat lady, you know, Franny, be God's actor. Um, you know, yes, I can tell stories. And you do as Dwight, you know, I've. So was, yeah. so grateful when people are like, my brother was dying of cancer and we used to watch The Office and laugh. Thank you so much for bringing us laughter. There's a service there, you know. It's, yeah. it's, it's important, but it's, it's still tricky for me. Um, tomorrow I'm going to Greenland because I'm going to make a little low-budget digital video about climate change just for my fans and Soul Pancake fans and stuff like that, but – um, so I try and do social good here and there when I can, but I also just came off doing a TV show that has no social good in it whatsoever. It's just a fun TV show with conspiracy theories and, and, and actors and adventure. So mm -hmm. I know I talked for a long time. I'll let you are talk. Are you kidding me? This is like correcting How long all the interrupting I've done on every other episode. Uh, I love episodes like this. Please don't ever feel like you're not supposed to talk. I want you to talk. I wonder, like you walk around and people... Uh, like Robin Williams, people yelled Mork at him. I have to imagine it's a daily thing that someone They yell Mork at me all the time. <laughs> but is that, I wonder, this is a leading question. I'm just going to let you know. Mork for Mork. Nano, nano. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but when people think you're Dwight, isn't that a little reminder that you're not, you know what I mean? Like that's false. Like you were just being this thing and then people believe that that's thing. So that's like this yeah. reminder mm -hmm. that you could have been that. Does that make sense? Like sometimes I see like I'm wondering if you acting and embodying other characters helps you wake up to the idea that you are a spirit and you can move in these different directions and look at all these people that think you're Dwight. Like people are just like, there's Dwight. I saw Dwight today. 
Well, I, and you go like, what baloney identity is? I don't. Uh, I'll kind of. I do think that I was given certain talents and faculties by the great spirit and the divine assemblage of my particular DNA that I was able to, and my warped, twisted upbringing that caused me a lot of trauma and suffering that through all of that, for whatever reason, I'm able to transform into characters and play them and play, especially comedic, weird characters. And that's kind of my purpose on this earth. Maybe my purpose on this earth was to play Dwight, to entertain the tens or hundreds of millions of people that have watched Dwight Schrute. And, and that's great. Maybe it'll be on my tombstone. I hope that people will know me as something a little bit more than Dwight, but if that's it, then then so be it. Right. You can't control it anyway. Yeah. What was your, what was Trump? I want to hear about your beatnik parents. I see them playing yeah. bongos, roach clip. Yeah. I wonder. You're like, I want to learn algebra. Oh, like, here. Come on, baby. You're bringing me down. <laughs> Hold on a second. You getting me the bassoon king? No, there's a. Edit that out. That I said bassoon king. <laughs> We're going to sell zero books. Um, I had a, a great. Dwight is standing oh, up. Oh. He's looking. Oh, damn it. It's not here. I don't know where it is. I, I, I'll find it for you later. I thought it was like right within grasp. Well, you have a dumb Starbucks this, cup. The Simpsons, Simpsons as a... Yeah, I see that. Office characters as Simpsons characters. They really nailed you guys. Um, so my parents... Uh, uh, where do I start? How do you start with that? Who are you closer with? <laughs> I guess I'm closest to my dad because when I was two, my mom left to have an affair with a theater director. She was an actress. Mm. And I mean, I use the term loosely. She did some community experimental community theater where she was naked except and painted her body blue, her boobs blue. She had boob bloobs, blue, blue <laughs> boobs in 19... 19- 69 in Seattle. Um, and so I stayed with my dad and I didn't really see my mom again until I was about 15. Oh, wow. Um, he remarried a, my stepmom, Kristen. She was very unhappy in their marriage. I asked them when I was writing my book several years ago, I asked them both like, when did you know that this marriage was just not going to work and that it was a terrible idea? And they both said within a year of being married, my dad said, like they both said within a couple of months, they knew that this was just the biggest mistake of their lives. But they, they doubled down and had and some kids. They, they doubled down and <laughs> stayed with it. No, this was my stepmom. They didn't have any kids, but oh. they stayed married for another 15 or 16 years. Wow. And so that is a peculiar kind of hell is to grow up into a marriage where the two people know they should not be together. Under yeah. no circumstances, but they're doing it for me. And it's like, if I could go back in time, like, please yeah. get divorced for me. If you know you're unhappy. So here we are, a Baha'i family. Get divorced for me. Please get divorced for me. I used to fantasize that my, my dad and stepmom would get divorced and that my dad would like move into Seattle and take me with him and we would not. And it wasn't even that. I mean, I loved her and I loved him. I just wanted to not be in that family. And here's another weird kind of spiritual trauma is growing up Baha'i, which is all about love, love one another, and yet there's no love in this marriage, so there's no love in this family. So we would go to these Baha'i meetings and we'd sing about love and pray about love and serve with love and then 
I'd go home and we'd watch TV and eat TV dinners and people wouldn't talk to each other. Cognitive um, dissonance. Yeah. So that's, that'll really fuck you up uh, as a kid. So mm. that's, that's a little taste of it. Then my stepmom would rage. She would rage and get physical because uh, she was so, so deeply unhappy in that marriage. So that wouldn't get taken out on my dad. That would get taken out on me. So um, it was a, uh, it was its own peculiar hell, but everyone has their own peculiar childhood. Is that hell. where you developed your performance kind of thing? I, I'm projecting cause I had, you know, some conflict in my own family and that's where I was like, I'm going to put on a show. Exactly. I would literally put on shows. It was, yeah. it's almost a cliche. Like if you put it in an indie film yeah. of like this kid in this really miserable family putting on like miming for his parents at dinner and doing impressions Anything and little comedy acts. talking to each other. Yeah. And to keep yeah. them with a little bit of laughter, maybe they wouldn't fight. Mm -hmm. Um, it, it's it's a cliche. You put it in a film, people are like, oh, come on. Really? Yeah. I've seen yeah. that before. It's yeah. like, well, it's true. Yeah. So, yeah, there was there was that. What would you do? I, I would I remember the songs I would sing. I had one that went like, I'm a cow giving birth, and so are you. I'm a cow giving birth. I know what to do. I'm a cow giving birth. I know what to do. Singing. Oh, wait, I messed it up. Hey, now I know what to do. And then we'd go, singing moo. moo and I'd try to get everyone to sing moo. moo Did you make I that up? I know what to do. Singing. Yeah. That wasn't a Christian song. From no, Christian it just. Camp? Well, I also yeah. went to a Quaker school where we sang a lot of like weird, like sort of <laughs> yeah. music. Yeah. So it was like in me to make up silly songs and stuff. Yeah. And then when I got a keyboard, I would play the chords to it and stuff oh, and the fantastic. beats. Yeah. And it was it. It did kind of create this like mind that likes to be silly and creative and all that. But it was to keep everyone from looking at the pile of shit in the room. You know, <laughs> my therapist, Dr. Gary Penn, whose book is available now, he says like it's like spraying Febreze on a pile of shit. The B Bassoon King, his book. It's called The Bassoon King by yeah. Rain Wilson. Um, but yeah, what, what what were your bits? All I can remember is um, I did a lot of. I hate to say it, I did a lot of miming. I love it. I did like Marcel Marceau miming, <laughs> like, look, I'll do boy in the glass box or I'll do uh, walking against the wind or look, I'll do. So you'd stand fishing. up. I'd if you're stand, at the dinner table, you would stand up. I would up. stand up and do a little show, a little yeah. performance. Yeah. 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 This is why you were skinny. I was skinny. Everyone's eating the food. Yeah. You're over there pretending yeah, to be in a breeze that doesn't exist. Not, not eating the meatloaf. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I also learned that I was I was a doughy boy because I learned that like eating would like sort of sedate me. Mm. So I would eat a lot of bread, yeah, and like go for the pasta real fast because yeah. it made it more. It gave my body something else to focus on. It was right. like indigestion or whatever it yeah. was. Right. Um, so then, what was your first? Your mom's an actor, and you became an actor. Yeah. Do you want to hear the crazy craziest part of that story? Is yeah. I didn't know she was an actor. So. I, I, when I always wanted to act and I, I literally, for some reason, just always was like, I want to do that. Hmm. I would see people on TV. I would see the characters on, I would see Radar O'Reilly on MASH and be like, I want to do that. Hmm. I want to do what he's doing. And lo and behold, I got to do it. Yeah. You're reminding me that when I was a kid, the other thing I would do is I'd go in the bathroom and before the real world, I'd do monologues into the mirror and I'd say, on this episode of The Pete Show, uh, Dad, you know, like, and I'd yeah, talk about yeah, it. Yeah. Sounds a little nuts, but I couldn't wait to be on TV. That, that's why, like, I understand that a lot of people probably want to be in show business. And then there's, like, fucking weirdos like Martin Short, who used to do talk shows with his stuffed animals 
and he'd take like commercial breaks. And I remember him saying on a, on a late night show, he was like, I used to worry about my imaginary film career getting in the way of my imaginary TV career. So these are people that it's like in their marrow. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? It's yeah. not just somebody that's like, well, I'm beautiful. I guess I could be in movies. Yeah. Some people are like, I have to do this. Yeah. It's like when I pee, yeah. I pee in the snow and there's a spec script. It's just yeah. what happens. Yeah. So it seems like you really knew what you wanted. Yeah. That's that. I, I knew what I wanted and. Um, and my dad was always a little, he always supported me being an artist. He loved me playing. He wrote science fiction, right? He wrote science fiction So he was creative. Um, and, uh, he was creative. He was a failed artist. He was a painter. That's one of his early paintings right there. Oh, wow. Um, and, uh, yeah, that's from like 1970 something. That one right there. Crazy. He wanted to be an artist and... He never succeeded at really being an artist. He's having a nice, you know, retirement career right now as an artist. But um, I started doing acting, and he was weird about it. He got really weird about doing the acting, and I couldn't figure it out because he supported me in doing any of their He's arts. Like, You're gonna paint your boobs blue? What? Why? Why would <laughs> then, you say that? <laughs> and then I, I, I found out later. I was 19 or 20 or something like that. That my I literally opened an old storage trunk and I saw an ad in the newspaper that my mom, Shay, was in this play in Seattle. And I was like, what? Like, yeah, I used to act. What? And then, and then, then I asked my mom at some point, why did you guys get divorced? Because my dad would never answer the question. But I asked my natural mom, Shay, after we were getting back into, in touch with one another. And she goes, you mean your dad never told you? And I was like, no, because my dad would always hem and haw and he'd be like, well... Um, we went our separate ways, you know, and, uh, and, and, and she was like, I, we got a divorce because I did this play and I had an affair with the theater director and I left your dad for this theater director. Wow. My dad never told me that. How different than most parents who like want to bitch about the person they're yeah. divorced from nonstop to their kids. But it's also, it's like your dad's like a good movie because his wife, the actor burns him. He doesn't tell his son. And then his son becomes an actor. Yeah, he's yeah. like, Jesus, I can't get away from uh, yeah, this. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. And not only he becomes an actor, but he moves to New York City and starts doing drugs did as you? an actor. So, yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah. What was so, your flavor? Uh, I did a lot of cocaine for a while. Really? Yeah, yeah. Um, I Pot always got me like got me crazy in fact i once smoked pot and i think it was laced with something because i had visions of of the face of god i saw the face of god wow yeah that's intense yeah it wasn't pleasant no it, it the the trip was not pleasant but the face of god was very pleasant and i swore to the face of god i would never smoke pot again and i <laughs> and i haven't that's like steve martin in his book Oh, yeah? He got paranoid on pot in a movie theater and was just like vowed to whatever he was talking to. I was like, I'm out, I'm out yeah. of this. I, I, I did one of those things like, God, if you get me out of this. I mean, I wasn't just having a bad trip, Pete. Like my muscles were contracting and expanding uh, autonomically uh, without involuntarily oh, in no. my arms like this. And I, th I was vomiting and my heart rate was up at like 200, you know, a minute. And I was just like, and I was sweating. Sweat was pouring down my face and it Whoa. was, it was a really bad. Sounds like an indica. 
Yeah. I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, I picked uh, the wrong one. Sounds uh, like it's a Tiva. <laughs> <laughs> so I swore to the face of God that I would never smoke pot again. So I didn't. And right around that time, I started having panic attacks and I had depression and anxiety. And But cocaine agreed with you. No. And that's when I quit the cocaine too. Because I was like, this, is, this can't be helping. <laughs> what kind of cocaine person were you? I'm watching Succession right now. Have yeah. You watched that show? I love that show. I think it's so interesting. I was saying to Val last night, we were watching it and I was like, it's so weird. Like you don't want this is no there's no major spoilers here. You don't want Kendall to use, but when he's using a little bit, you love him because yeah. it like sort of agrees with him. It kind of brings him to life like, in a he's weird like, way. I'm gonna fucking kick some ass, and you're like, yes, yeah. Yeah. a little cocaine is good, <laughs> good for Kendall. <laughs> yeah, but he can't. Obviously, it's a horrible thing for Kendall, and that's what I like about the subtlety of that show. Is it's not it's not a caricature of like he does cocaine and he just immediately loses his erection and starts yelling at a drive-through person. Right. But it's he, gray. It's gray. There's good. It's ruining his life, but he yeah. also see what the allure is, and that's why I've never done cocaine. I'll never do cocaine. I'm not interested. I feel like I'm on cocaine, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> just natural when cocaine. I, when I did cocaine, here's the problem. When I did it, it was too good. I mean, it was so good. It made my life so amazing. I knew it was too good to be true. You made the, your life or your the way you felt? Uh, honestly, it made, it made my life. Like all deficiencies I had as a human being were corrected by the drug cocaine. Really? Yeah. So, Like what? Social anxiety? Exactly. Or? I was charming. I could pick up women. I was not self-conscious. I went to a party with my classmates from NYU on Coke, and it was a big dance. And I was the best dancer on the dance floor. <laughs> Can you imagine that? And on this, so Af- this isn't one of those situations. And an African American girl are. in our class was like, came up all of a sudden, was interested in me, and uh, came up and was like. Wow, Rain, you're such a good dancer. I had no idea. Get out of yeah. here. So yeah. it wasn't just in your head. It wasn't like a funny movie no, scene no, no, where no. you think you're great and then it cuts to a wide and we yeah. see what you're actually doing. Yeah. And you're like, whoa, 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 But the day after, you, it, it's, you know, it's a self-perpetuating system because the day after you do it, you feel so down and you hate yourself so much that you need more of it to get you out of that state. Right. So I, w- I had enough consciousness and a lack of, I guess, an addictive uh, connection to the drug itself to be able to say enough, no more. Good. I'm out. Yeah. So I've been drug free since then and then alcohol free since the late nineties. So, Oh really? Was booze a thing too? Yeah. So it was booze for me. Wasn't like uh, blotto drunk, vomiting, like embarrassing myself, breaking a plate glass window, but it was a coping. I used it for coping. I so, did too. Yeah. So I it totally was, did. It was, you know. It's a tricky thing. It's it's sort of like. Three to five beers a night to take the edge off. And then when I looked back on a, like a 10-year span or 12-year span, I realized, oh, there's five days that I did not drink alcohol in 10 years or wow. 12 years. Right. That's That's probably not. Right. When there's drugs, this is what's been interesting about the legalization of weed is that it, I, we are dumb animals. And when things become legal, we just go like, well, it must be fine. You know what I mean? Yeah. So like we sort of, it's dangerous when we have to self-regulate. Yeah. And alcohol is one of those things for sure. We're like, well, it's legal. Our, yeah. My parents did it. Yeah. And that's why I was like, 
It's culturally sanctioned. Yeah. On Melrose Place, when they started saying ass, I started saying ass. We're idiots. Yeah. You know what I mean? We go like, well, it can't be a bad word. They say it on I TV. I think there's two huge social experiments happening at the same time for, uh, with today's young people that are uh, going to have tragic consequences. And these giant social experiments are at the exact same time. Let's give every kid, once they turn 11 or 12, Riddling? a little pocket computer oh. <laughs> that has instant access to any kind of distraction that you could possibly want, whether it's porn whether it's video games uh whether it's just surfing the web or, or it's just endless news. meaningless information and it's too. just here every, and everyone has them everyone has them mm-hmm. um and that's the one social experiment let's like let's drop i remember hearing this guy do who did a ted talk and he was talking about how they did a social experiment where they they dropped ipads into a village in nepal that had information on the iPads about teaching them language and, and literacy and that li- the village taught itself literacy through these literally airlifted in iPads that were just dropped no. in the village. I'm completely, Amazing. I'm completely serious, I but that's you. what's happening with, you it's know, like the gods must be crazy, but with iPads. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. And with, 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 that's what's happening with 50 million adolescents right now. Like let's put many supercomputers in their pockets. And at the same time, Let's legalize pot and just kind of sanction marijuana without any studies about its long-term health benefits. We certainly know that pot done in adolescence leads to increased schizophrenia. We know that it increases depression and anxiety. It's true for nicotine as well, actually. Oh, yeah? And vaping is uh, – oh, yeah, like yeah. underdeveloped brains that use nicotine. It's, it's a, because I sometimes enjoy nicotine. It's like, like in a supplement. Like I don't smoke. Yeah. Or I'll smoke a cigar and I'll enjoy it, whatever. Yeah. So I was curious about nicotine and I looked it up and it's not harmless. It's like if you smoke before your brain is fully formed, that's the other thing. It's schizophrenia. It's like delusion. It's like mood swings. It's irritability. Yeah. It's all this crazy yeah. stuff. That's <laughs> another social – there's an endless series of social experiments. And porn is another one. Porn is definitely You know, in yeah. the 70s, for us to get porn, I mean, it was a, just a mad search for like three or four magazines with some boobs in it. Yeah. And it was like, oh, my God. And that was that was it. And now you, with your little pocket supercomputer, there's you can have right. a donkey, you know, face – fucking and that, a Romanian and that's a real in thing. three be- seconds because we become novelty addicts it's not just sex becomes nothing yeah. mm-hmm. so you we have straight people watching gay porn because the taboo turns them on mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. i mean like what where does this lead yeah and but also the mar- but to continue with the marijuana one like it's like all of a sudden let's just legalize it it must be okay and yeah it's, you can't od for marijuana but that doesn't mean that it's necessarily good for you and right. i've met a number of marijuana addicts 10, 15 years out of using marijuana that are just, their lives are a wreck. And, yeah. and, and you Steve could say Hart. the same thing about, about alcohol, I suppose. But I worry for you youngins and you millennials that uh, have just had kind of unlimited distraction, unlimited porn, unlimited nicotine, and unlimited uh, marijuana. But it's all the, uh, it actually is a spiritual issue because it goes back to the idea that everything you need is outside of you. Yeah. And it's all about sense gratification. Yep. And sense gratification is a fucking fool's errand. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Like mm-hmm. finding bliss in the inherent stillness of being is the only game in town. Right. I don't care how you symbolize it, how you worship it, how you practice it. That's the only game in town. Because yeah. if you just go around trying to feel good... To anesthetize. You're fucked. Yeah. And that's the story we're being sold. Get rich, get a bunch of weed, get a bunch of booze, get a bunch of uh, whatever you're attracted to and yeah. fuck it. Guess what? You're going to wake up and just be like, what is this? Russell Brand talks about this so articulately. Do I? 
<laughs> Sorry. <laughs> you know. I hadn't been silly for a while. Um, yeah, bring it out. The, uh, but his, he's got a great book called Recovery. And, and, it, and it's also all the ways we try and numb ourselves, numb, escape, anesthetize. And a lot of it is stuff, too. It's shopping. That's right. But that's yeah. why Eckhart Tolle says, like, when a kid, when you take something from a kid and they scream, it's because we have this part of our brain that believes this is my coffee. It becomes part of our identity. Mm-hmm. Even porn is an identity issue. It reinforces the idea that you exist, that you're real. This turns me on. Something is happening. I'm coming. I exist. It's an identity thing. Mm. It's because we're so afraid of who we are when all of that stuff goes away. Yeah. And then you're getting drunk and you're seeing how drunk am I? Are you getting high? How high am I? It's It's just... Somebody said all of humanity's problems stem from the fact that you cannot sit quietly in a room. And I was like, that's fucking a motherfucking it. Rain Wilson, 2019. He just said it. Um, I deal, I struggle with that. Dude, I do too. Why do you think I I just got so worked up? I don't, um, I certainly struggle with uh, anything that medicates me and anesthetizes me. But I also struggle with the fact that. You know, being a celebrity, being an actor, kind of trying to get fame. I never tried to get famous, but I tried to get to be successful as an actor. Like, I never do anything for myself. Mm. You know, I don't write poetry that no one's going to read. You know, I don't. I do meditate because it quells my anxiety and it gives me sharper, clearer focus throughout the day. So there's there's a cost-benefit analysis to it. But I don't do anything like make pottery or I hear people talking about like, yeah, I just love gardening for the sake of itself. Yeah, just for itself. I like gardening. Right. Garden. You like like planting things and scraping dirt, rain, when and I putting went, seeds in dirt, and then I, no one even sees it. And you know, when I went to the park right by your house because I was early, I sat and I looked at a tree. And Eckhart Tolle is like, drop the label, right? Don't label it a tree. Just look at it without thinking about it and just experience the tree. And it was beautiful. It was, it was rapturous. It was wonderful. And then there's this voice in my head going, after the podcast, you don't really have anything. You could come back and look at the tree. You know what I mean? I'm like, just look at the tree now. Like everything has to be like a right. plan to really like it later. Motherfucker, just like it now. It's happening now. That's a thief. That's a thief. Yeah, it's a thief of joy. That's right. And and but also that happens to me. Uh, I had a, a couple free hours yesterday and I just laid on the couch in my office and I was like for nothing. Nothing. Just look at the light, look at the room, let well, it come good. in. That's good. That's good. I can't do the you're, you No, I, I can't do that. I'm no, not good at that. You can do it. You can, Well, that's what I'm, I mean, I'm saying not saying I can't do it. I really struggle with that. The reason I, I told you that I did it was because it doesn't have to be as sexy as gardening. In fact, I would say that the the rote flow of gardening could just be like it's like the guy that climbed free solo. I was like, yeah, he wanted to shut his brain off. It's it's just another way of meditating. Hmm. It's a moving meditation. It's not as romantic, I think, as you were making. So you're saying it. the guy who climbed that mountain, he could have just laid on his couch and looked at d- dust motes in the air. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. But his, I think his brain is like, look at the interviews. He's just like, oh, oh it's trending towards a relational. Like, that's a guy that needs to shut his brain off. <laughs> and he's like, the only thing that's going to get me away from myself is cl- risking my life. I need to, I need the focus. That's why Eckhart Tolle says we love ASMR because they're whispering. And in order to like follow what I'm saying, you need to really, really devote close attention to what I'm saying or you're going to miss it. And that's meditation. He's really good at that. You should have your own ASMR YouTube channel. But everyone, I was saying some bullshit, but it, it 
it pinpoints yeah. your attention. It draws in your that's focus what gardening in an ADD is. That's what, distraction world. That's right. Yeah. So people that are watching ASMR, it's not just like it's not a new thing. It's like mm-hmm. a it's a new way of doing what meditation is, what mindfulness is, what presence is. Mm-hmm. But we have to trick ourselves into doing it because, like you said, I have nine billion hours of streaming butt cum shots in my phone. Yeah, yeah. At the put point of a button. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. All right. You're out of time. You're out of luck. You're out of time. And I'm What does the cow say? What was your song again? Cow. I'm Pushing a cow, cow giving on my birth. Mouth. Sometimes I would answer the phone, cow giving birth, and it would be my friend and he'd go, how did you know it was me? <laughs> and I was like, I took a chance. I did say to you, we should do uh, the, longest. the longest. Yeah. You make it weird. I feel podcast. like we could have. We could keep going. I gotta go. You gotta go. Gotta, well, we have we have like half an hour, you know. Okay. So. Well, we have the speed round, and oh. the speed round will take probably half an hour. Let's do it. <laughs> <laughs> um, what is a, what? What is the greatest lesson you were talking about? All this great acting stuff you've done. I'm curious what a great lesson you've learned about acting is. It could be advice someone gave you, or something that you figured out. Um. So it's a story. Uh, that I've uh, that was pretty profound to me, which was that I got cast in my first Broadway play. I was like 27, 28, and I it put so much pressure on my shoulders that um, I sucked in that Broadway play. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna get a Tony nomination. I'm gonna sign at William Morris Agency. I'm gonna get a New York Times review. All this pressure, and all, it's all I could think about. So it was not in the moment in rehearsing the the character and I sucked and I was really bad and you can find the reviews online. And, um, and when I came out of that and I, I, it was a miserable experience. There's nothing worse than knowing you suck being in a play that you suck and you have to do it for like two or three months. Wow. You have to go do eight shows a week and you know, you're terrible in it. You go suck tonight. And you, yeah. And you can't get out. I try, I got a little better, but I couldn't get out of really sucking mm. because I hadn't rehearsed it. Right. So, um, when I, and I was sobbing to my wife on the phone at night and it was, it was a terrible, terrible ordeal. But when I got out of that, I let go of trying to be something for someone else, you know, as an actor, like I need to be myself. I'm weird. I have a long torso. I have a belly. I get my clothes at thrift stores or I used to. Um, and this is who I am, you know? And, I need to bring that into my work as an actor. And I truly, and I tell this story to, I tell a longer version of this story when I speak to like young actors and stuff like that, because my greatest failure of my entire acting life to that point, um, we can talk about the rocker being one of the worst movie box office bombs of all time. Is that true? Yeah. Um, led to me playing Dwight. Because I embraced my inner weird and uh, and that allowed me to play those character those oddball characters and not really give a fuck what people thought of me mm. and open the door for that my greatest success for my, so my greatest quote unquote failure was actually like those tests and difficulties you talked about suffering my one of my greatest sufferings it was three months. Of hell. Yeah. It's like you have done stand up. Yeah. 
that's what stand-ups have on actors is that i mean actors have plenty of suffering yeah i didn't mean to put it that way yeah no 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 but we yeah, get yeah. Our, our butts kicked in constantly i still yeah. do i still yeah do. yeah i had a set last night it wasn't great not great huh? i was doing it and i was like oh oh <laughs> do you feel kind of like because people recognize you from tv now so it's a little different that they like you anyway because you're a celebrity you're pete holmes a celebrity not pete holmes the struggling aspiring I, stand up i agree with what seinfeld says is you get 30 seconds of grace and then it's like, okay, what do you, what do you say? <laughs> For me, it might be ten seconds. There's not people that are just there. It's like it's Pete Holmes. He's great. He could say anything. I love his podcast. He was so great on Crashing. Yeah, maybe if it's my show, there's a bigger cushion. Yeah. But I was guesting on someone else's show, so okay. it was, it, there wasn't as much electricity. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, and I realized how much I was coasting on that electricity or relying on it, and that's what that's what it's like when you're building a new hour. Is you sort of need your fans to help you make that hour, and then you go and bring it to other people, and when it's stronger. Yeah, part of me wants to quit acting. There's part of me I was talking to a bunch of people about. I think I want to go to divinity school. Hmm. I want to go get a master's degree and, and leave it behind. But then I'm too scared to do that, and the money's too good. In acting? Yeah. Really. Well, yeah. I'm just kidding. What did you learn from was the rocker after the office? The rocker was mid office. It was like during season three or four of the office. And, um, you know, we were really taking off. We were getting, I was getting Emmy award nominations that I did not win. Oh, you get a and, little plaque uh, when yeah, you're nominated. Yeah, yeah. Is this, is this egotistical of me? No one really sees it. Cause no, People I didn't know you got a certificate. Yeah, you get a, a nomination certificate. I got three of them. I lost to Jeremy Piven. The Pivs. There's a joke here. Insert joke. <laughs> Let's let the listener insert their own joke. Let's leave a moment of silence. Pause. There we go. And we're back. Okay. So I had this, you know, uh, there was... Tall, you know, Steve Carell had a big movie career and John Krasinski was acting in movies and Jenna and everyone. And so I had a shot and there was this terrific script, The Rocker. It was a really fun, quirky, uh, you know, studio, com- low budget studio comedy. I think we shot the whole thing for like $13 million in, in Toronto and they could shoehorn it in uh, right before um, me coming back for the next season of The Office. And and they did it. It was a great cast. Emma Stone was in it. Bradley mm. Cooper was in it. Mm. Fred Armisen, uh, Josh Gad had a you know um, it, it, so many great Jane Lynch, so many great actors in it, and um, uh, Dimitri Martin. And it was a fun little movie. But it was it, they had four different release dates for it, and um, they kept moving when it was going to get released, and then they just dumped it in Labor Day weekend. And it got bad reviews, and it, it they 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 put it out on like two thousand screens, and it you know if you look on like Box Office Mojo, you can look at like how much money it made per screen, and it was like thirty seven dollars per screen or something like that, and it was at the time like one of the biggest box office bombs in Hollywood history. Oh, well, wow. it's now been eclipsed by about a three hundred other movies as people have. It was kind of right at that time when people were starting to not go to movies anymore hmm. and just. But that was brutal, man. It was it was brutal. This was like Were you I was all my I was so wrapped in my ego, I was so wrapped in my sat my Satan, you know, my insistent self. Uh this is it. It's gonna put me on the map. It's the same thing as the Broadway show. I'm gonna get a movie deal, I'm gonna have it's an Birdman. office and now they'll listen to you, Rain. Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's Reagan. Reagan. <laughs> now they'll look. Now you won't be Dwight. You'll yes. be the rocker. Yeah. I'll be the rocker, not Everyone, Dwight. they'll yell something else at you. I won't just street. be a TV star. I'll be a movie star. This could be a series. <laughs> the Rocker 2. Tuning out. Three. <laughs> rocker 3. Rock banging. <laughs> yeah, rock, rock out. out. With your cock out. <laughs> um, and it was... It was uh, it was brutal. I remember. And you have to do all this press for a movie that isn't working. And then you have to sort of like stand by a movie that isn't working, right? Well, I did all the press previous. Before it came out, right, of course. And, uh, oh, it was, it was rough. Did you have a feeling it wasn't going to work when you were doing the press? Um, yeah, I went to test screenings. And generally people liked it. But it wasn't like the test screen. You know, it wasn't like people like, yeah. Lightning in a bottle. And know. listen, it's a, it's a sweet, fun, funny film. It's not a great film. It's not a – it does not come close to sucking, however. It's a really fun film. And uh, But my my feature film you know, w- dreams were dashed. And I yeah. was immediately – there were several other movie projects that we were – people were lining up and talking about. And they, they just all went away. They just went whoosh. Did you talk to Carell about it? No, I didn't talk to Carell about it so much. I don't much. know why, just because he seemed like the – he traversed that terrain. And yeah. He seems like such a sweet guy that it would He's just be He's such like, a sweet guy, but he don't doesn't – worry about it, Brain. He does not talk about professional stuff really? like that. Yeah, it's not like you can sit down and – he would be very empathetic and stuff like that, but he wouldn't like give advice or talk. That stuff he doesn't. He just doesn't engage in that stuff. Really? He's, very, he's very kind of private about professional stuff and conversations. Yeah, really yeah. interesting. Yeah, I wonder yeah. if that's deliberate. He doesn't want to take it too seriously, or I don't know. I've tried a few times. I through the years. I love Steve. He's such a sweet guy, a dear guy. We still text, and he's so brilliant. I just saw him in that movie about the sun drug addict son and god he was steve was just heartbreaking and just a beautiful performance but he there's just certain topics you just can't get in with him as mm. some people are mm. um um and so yeah that was it was tough i remember after the rocker opened i was driving into the office on the monday after the rocker opened and we have to get in there really super early in the morning so i'd left my house at like five in the morning and I was listening to Kevin and Bean on K-Rock. Mm-hmm. And they were like, oh, let's look at what happened at the movies this weekend. And they're like, oh, this came in first. Tropic Thunder was first. And Step Brothers was second. And blah, 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 blah. They went through the movies. They're like, wait a minute. Where's Rain's movie? Where's The Rock? Wait, wait, where is it? It's not even in the top 10. It's number 12. Oh, that hurts. Oh, it's a bomb. Ooh, Rain bombed. <laughs> And I was driving down the 101. I just started crying oh, on the no. 101 around White Oak at 5.20 in the morning. Hmm. And Kevin and Bean were like mocking my movie. And I had to go in and be funny on the office. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what, Pete? Pete, let's bring this all together. It's all an illusion. It, it doesn't is. matter. All we have is right now. It's a we're having scene. We're having a conversation, and we're we're surrounded by oxygen. We're like fish in the ocean. Only it's not water; it's oxygen around us. Yep. And the breath in our lungs is the divine, Yahweh. Yahweh down the bottom of that list. <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> Yahweh down at number 12. Number 12. <laughs> Yahweh. <laughs> Bean. Uh, the Rocker no, 2. Right. Yahweh. <laughs> no, you're absolutely right. What is a great lesson you've learned about? Was that um, too long? No, I loved it. It's really just a question of how many we get to, but I mean, you can okay. just do one. All right. Um, Keep going. Fame. Yeah. Fame. Fame. You're not going to live forever. I was doing the David Bowie song. You did the oh, musical theater song. That's telling. Do you know on that David Bowie song, fame, fame, the the falsetto like fame, that's John Lennon singing that? Really? Yeah. I love that. Fun fact. Fun what fact. about fame? What's a great lesson you've learned about it? How to cope with it, how to deal with it. I mean, you couldn't go to the Burlington Mall in Burlington, Massachusetts. Really? It'd be a problem, wouldn't it? Could I go to the Burlington Coat Factory at the Burlington Mall in Burlington, Not the original in Burlington, Vermont. I don't think so. They won't um, I just, I'm wondering what your life is like. When you go to an airport, I have to imagine it's different for you. I mean, you're a, you're a t-shirt. Yeah, I'm a meme. You're a meme. Um, My mom knows who you are. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's different. You're saying when I go on stage, people know me from crashing. I'm like, eh. you know what I mean? <laughs> like, if you come out, it, it's like a, it's a thing. It's like, well, I go in a baseball cap and I have this beard. And so most people don't recognize me. And that helps me tremendously. But they yeah. just think you're Zach Galifianakis. It's, um, I don't know. I, I mean, there's, this is, could be a whole podcast episode just on, on fame and the travails of fame. I don't – no one – you know, to quote George Clooney, no one ever wants to hear a famous person complain about anything. Um, it's it's <laughs> To quote tricky. George Clooney, buy my tequila. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, um, it's, it's tricky. I try and be really respectful to fans uh, that appreciate my show and I just – and gratitude to them, and I look for the soul in their eyes and uh, try and give them witness. Um, I also give out these cards now. I stole this from Steve Martin. Um, can you narrate <laughs> what's happening right now, please? Rain is looking in his celebrities only telephone case for a business card. He seems to have a lot of cards. I think he carries a SAG card with him. It's interesting. It means he doesn't want to pay for movies at the SAG Theater. I give people this. Oh, here we go. I asked Raiden Wilson, parentheses, that guy who played Dwight on The Office and some other roles, for a selfie, and all I got was this idiotic card. <laughs> so you give them this instead of doing a selfie? Yeah. That's sometimes fun. Sometimes I do selfies, but sometimes when I don't want to, I give them that. But That's um, fun. Yeah, no, he has that... Like uh, fill in the blank. Judd Judd Apatow still has his from when he was a kid. He wrote Steve Martin a fan letter. Oh, when he got and he that. got the form letter yeah. back, and he has it framed. Yeah, in Steve Martin office. hands out cards that says, uh, "I don't want you." I, to... I, this is to verify I met Steve Martin. I found him witty, witty, charming, and delightful, or something. Oh, that's like that. fun. Yeah, yeah. Um, I don't. There's a lot to say on fame. I don't know. It's 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 an illusion, uh, and I try and stay as grounded as possible to say, "Hey, listen." I've played a lot of different acting roles, some hit, some miss. I've had friends who were on TV shows for as long as I was. No one watched the show. They don't get recognized anywhere. Luckily, The Office was a great show. That wasn't really in my hands. And I am, an, I am a servant among servants. I'm, uh, I'm another bozo on the bus. Have and you met Gareth? Yeah, I met Gareth from The English Office. Did you yeah. enjoy him? Yeah, he's super sweet, very shy, very quiet guy. I saw yeah. him on a Broadway play, and we, we met backstage, and there's yeah. some, someone took a photo. There's some photo of Does me he hate you my... because you were the American version, and it's like, 
they milked it for a billion dollars. And, I, and, I, <laughs> and, and I, he's like, yeah, in the UK, we only and quite honestly, like I stole a bunch of stuff that he did. Yeah, you know, quite honestly. Well, you're kind of supposed to. I, I mean, you're doing the yeah. American version. So I of took the show. I took the best stuff that he did, which is like taking himself super seriously with yeah. a kind of a deadly uh, deadpan and having a really terrible head haircut like he got himself like the worst possible haircut for his head shape yeah i did the same thing i yeah. got like i have an enormous forehead so i'm like i'm gonna lead with my enormous forehead yeah um and uh, <laughs> so i imagine he uh but he i think he's doing great he's doing great did you ever talk about god with ricky gervais <laughs> i never talked about god with ricky gervais no yeah i wonder what his opinion is on it oh my god you're funny what's your greatest lesson you've learned about comedy Timing. Timing. Thai. Food. Ming. <laughs> That's a good one. What about family and fatherhood? Oh, yeah. You know, um, I don't have anything funny to say about that. It doesn't have to be funny. I will say that marriage has been, you know, what is like the toughest job you'll ever love or something like that? It's like army or something like that. Mm-hmm. Like marriage is... Uh, marriage has been very hard and challenging and so rewarding at the same time. Like mm. it's, um, it's, a uh, in the road, less traveled by M Scott Peck, which you really must read. Do you want me to buy it for you? Or are you going to buy it yourself? I'm happy to buy it for you. I'll send it to you. No, I'll get it. No, I can send it to you. I'm going to buy the bassoon King. Okay. I'm a, I can give you the bassoon King and, you can buy your own damn self, The Road Less Traveled. I will. I, I made a rule for myself. I can't buy any more books until I read some of the ones that I have. Oh, the damn problem. you. Yeah. yeah. What about audiobooks? Yeah. He talks about marriage as being a soul-growing machine. Well, you know. Richie Rohr, remember he says that yeah. God comes to us through great love and great suffering. He's like, the reason why most major religions promote fidelity and long relationships, like committed relationships, is because, this sounds like a joke, they provide great love and great suffering. Suffering just meaning not getting your way, meaning merging yeah. and uh, compromise. Or not yeah. compromise, that sounds so boring. But that's why. It's, yeah. it's not just supposed to be pleasing our sense desires. It's supposed to be teaching yeah. us something. yeah. Yeah. So, um, and then raising a little son has also uh, in, been incredibly uh, challenging and re- incredibly rewarding. And isn't that what it's all about? Yeah, beautiful. Um, what? Let's see. I think we're on. I, th- I think we're. I think we should end right there. All right. What do you think? What do you think, Kate? I think you're going to like this one. What's the great? Does he lesson? pay you? Yeah. Okay. Well, <laughs> I pay Katie well. Oh, nice. Don't I? That's a weird yes. That's good. <laughs> yes! <laughs> I feel like I pay you well. What else, Pete Holmes? For fuck's sake. It's such I a pleasure. I gotta give Katie a raise. <laughs> um, it's such a pleasure to sit down with you, man. I, oh, sit- I have the final question. Yeah. This is what it always is. What? And I, I want to talk about what a pleasure it was. What's the hardest time you've laughed in your life? Or recently? Or when you were a kid? I'll tell you the hardest time I've laughed that I can remember was... I was, I would say of the top 20 times I've laughed in my life, 17 of them were on the set of The Office. Laughing until I could cry and barely breathe many, many times. In a bad suit. 
Um, yeah, in a bad suit. One was in the scene with John Krasinski where we it said, it is your birthday, and we hung up the balloons. We couldn't stop laughing in that scene. There was also a scene that Steve, when Steve was dressed as Santa Claus and Kevin, who was very large, sat on his lap to ask for a present, and they they just milked that scene, and it was the funniest thing I've ever seen. And Steve in that scene was... It just is just heart achingly funny. Oh God! I, I was lucky. It. How lucky am I? Come That's on. why Val and I will watch Office Bloopers yeah. more than we watch the show. We'll watch bloopers and bloopers of all the shows that we love because it reminds me of the joy of an ensemble of yeah. that summer camp feel yeah. that they are having fun and watching you break is really really fun. Yeah, because really, I look really like my face looks like a mad ball. Do you know what those mad balls? Mad are? balls. Yeah. yeah. From the 80s. We play like, with them. Mad balls. Yeah. That was the yeah. commercial. My big round head kind of turns from very grim into like a weird contorted mad ball. <laughs> <laughs> well, Rain. All right. We did it. Are people going to listen to this? Are people going to listen to this right now, what I'm saying? Well, if they listen to the end, they should tweet at you the word Parcheesi. Parcheesi. Hashtag Parcheesi. You can get it trending if you want. Yeah. And then you'll know they listen to the very end. Okay. Please do. Listeners, it, if you've gotten this far, tweet me, at Rain Wilson, hashtag Parcheesi. And then and, we'll know. And we'll know. It was worth going the distance. Great. But I think people will appreciate it. I love you, Pete Holmes. I love you too, man. Will you say keep it crispy? It's how we end. Keep it crispy. Would Dwight say it differently? Keep it crispy. It's pretty similar. Mm-hmm. It's really similar. <laughs> Crispy. I'm so crispy.